Hello and welcome to episode eight. Episode eight of We Have Such Films to Show You, the uh, podcast where we talk about the increasingly terrible Hellraiser films. And uh, and I'm Josh Millard, your uh, host A. With me is your host B, Yakov Grinberg. Hey, everybody. And uh, and man, we're talking about Hellraiser Hellworld. Yeah, I'd like to. I'd like to apologize to anybody that watched this movie because they follow this podcast and they wanted to know. You know, they just you know wanted to be aware of what we were talking about. I'd like to apologize to those people. <laughs> it's. I was. You know, I was feeling. I, I was. I was annoyed. Like last time like 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 deader i was kind of like you know this was not a good movie and i was feeling like we've really we're we're hitting a nader but we're we were nowhere near a nader the worst thing is this was this was a significantly worse film and the next one's going to be worse than this one by a significant margin too i can't even imagine that i just like i i just yeah, I, I I don't know what's going to happen in the next movie because I I also know that it's considered cons- much much worse, and I just I can't figure out how how they did that. That that would take skill. Well, I and I think I think the thing, and we shouldn't talk about this too much because you haven't watched it yet, and I haven't rewatched it, and we're gonna have a whole episode about it in a couple of weeks because we hate ourselves. But uh, but I think that the big difference is you know as much as we've sort of criticize the way in which spec scripts have been used to sort of shoe in some Hellraiser in a way that doesn't really work in these last several films. The thing is, those spec scripts were not necessarily terrible scripts in the first place. And the next right. one, the, 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 the ninth film in the franchise, was actually written from scratch as a Hellraiser film. And the whole thing was made in like six weeks. And, and it really, really shows. Because instead of starting from a decent spec script that just doesn't incorporate the Hellraiser material very well. It's nothing but an original terrible Hellraiser script. And that's that's how it manages to be worse. That and not having Doug Bradley and uh, being shot in record time and looking like shit. And oh man, it'll be a whole thing. So I guess what I'm saying is let's count our, our blessings with this one that, for example, the cinematography was okay. Yeah, you I... Know? That that is a nice thing you can say about it. This is like being at, at a funeral for a person you don't like. <laughs> it's like, well, he sure did have good hair. I yeah. remember my uncle's Cadillac. He sure <laughs> loved that Cadillac. Uh, it was a white Cadillac, and that was why he was okay with. But uh, yeah, yeah, okay, it's, yeah. So it's. I mean, this movie. If it's. It, I feel like remember so this was made in 2005 um Scream came out in 1996 and Scream was basically like just the first really um well-made like well-received uh horror movie where the characters were like genre savvy and um you know somebody had an idea of what was going on and even you know they they were just obviously influenced by like the the horror movies that came before them like Halloween and this is 10 years after that and it tries to do a similar thing and just fails so badly. Yeah, it's just, it's just impressive. So badly. This is uh genre savvy is definitely the uh the the key word here. This is this is the film in the franchise that treats itself as self-aware about the franchise. Uh for for those and, for those who are just listening uh but but didn't subject themselves to the film first. The very the very short uh uh summary of the film is that a bunch of teenagers who had been involved in 
some game called Hellworld, which is apparently some sort of Hellraiser like MMO. Uh, one of them well, that's dies. What it's supposed to be what we see of it is, but yeah, no, go on. Yeah, so so one one of the teenagers uh, dies in you know before the film starts, and so we start essentially with the funeral for him. And uh, the other teenagers, uh, two years later, they go to a hell world party uh, after all having spent some time away from the uh, the fandom of Hellraiser. And at that party, they're each, uh, you know, horribly, you know, killed in terrible ways by Hellraiser-y type things. Uh, and, and they're all aware of Hellraiser, of course, because they're fans of the Hellraiser franchise because they... They're they're not and they're in. like super fans. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, not, and not just horror in general, but of specifically Hellraiser. Yeah, these are like serious con going uh, fans. Although it's it, it's an odd thing, there's basically no cosplay culture in this hardcore fandom, which is kind of a strange uh, divergence from any actual fandom we've seen. Right. So yeah, the, the the film is doing this thing. It's doing this thing where it's saying, "Hey, no, let, let, what if Hellraiser was just something that people liked?" But then what if it was real? And the arc the film takes is stupid uh, is the way I would describe how they end up treating the question of like reality. Because I think – did we talk about this a little bit last time in anticipation of this one of Wes Craven's new Nightmare? Uh, um, I, I don't remember if we talked about it on the podcast or just in, in t- talking. Oh, okay. Um, but yeah, it's definitely like in that uh, Wes Craven's new Nightmare um, – Oh, what was that? What, what else? The only other movie like this I can think of is, um, what do you call it? Uh, Human Caterpillar 2, which I haven't actually seen. <laughs> I've only read a synopsis of it, but it also does a similar thing. And yeah, that and Wes Craven's New Nightmare are the only movies like that I can think of. Although, you know what's really funny? That there's there's a certain aspect of this movie that implies that in the universe that this movie takes place in, the Hellraiser films were a lot more popular than they actually are. Like there are, you know, it's it's what it's like the fifth annual Hellworld party. Yeah, yeah. There's a yeah. there's a more cohesive fandom than uh, than you would necessarily expect from from the way the Hellraiser franchise is going at the point in time that the film was made, when the franchise had been reduced to direct to video releases <laughs> for several iterations. And that's 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 a really interesting question that the film does nothing to tell us about is how the Hellraiser franchise that exists in the film differs from the Hellraiser franchise we would potentially have been aware of as actual Hellraiser fans. And that's 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 a really weird, big problem with this film for me. Yeah. As someone who's interested in the idea of taking genre-savvy stuff, the Wes, the, the Wes Craven film, uh, it was interesting because it was a film that Wes Craven, who uh, did the Nightmare on Elm Street uh, series, uh, that was his baby, and you know there were several films in that series, uh, like six, I think. And then there was a bit of a pause, and then he ended up making New Nightmare. And New Nightmare's premise was very similar. It was uh, the girl who played uh, the the last girl from the original film, and who also had an appearance in the third film. Uh, the film starred the actress who played that character as the actress who played that character. So she's playing you know a fictional version of herself, and Robert Englund who played. Freddy Krueger uh, appears in the film as Robert Englund, who played Freddy Krueger. Uh, you know, so it's it's set up as sort of like a drama documentary about just a random day in the life of the people who actually worked with Rex Craven to make the films. But then it gets weird because then there's Freddy and things get all very like the collision between reality and, and the fiction. And, and it's actually 
I haven't seen it in a while. I remember thinking reasonably well of it, not thinking it was necessarily the best horror film I'd seen in a while, but at least it was interesting and it was it was approached with care by a guy who was directly invested in the whole thing from the beginning. So it was like interesting seeing Wes Craven play with his own material. This film does not have that same sort of feel no. at all. So you don't get a sense that there's any respect from the people making the films for the notional fan base of the films that they're playing with and presumably demographically targeting with this movie. Because who would be more excited about a movie about the idea of Hellraiser fans being exposed to the actual Hellraiser universe than Hellraiser fans? You know, you think that would be your your target demographic, like, unquestionably, and yet the film really kind of treats the few fans we actually get to definitively see with a fair amount of contempt as, as people and yeah. characters. Yeah, they this is this is definitely one of those um teen slasher movies where I can't even tell if it's intentional or unintentional, but you want everybody to die. Yeah, there's it, not a whole lot of character um, sympathy. Yeah, it's sort of like what was it, Cloverfield, where I don't know if they attempted to, you know, make the characters sympathetic or likable in any way, but they weren't and, you know, you could almost cheer when they died because <laughs> it gets them off the fucking screen. Um Yeah, it's uh yeah, that I also I just so Hellworld is supposed to be like an MMO, right? This movie came out in 2005. Let's say it was shot over the course of I don't know 48 hours. So um well it was it was probably know. produced mostly in 2003 too. We need a couple knock a couple years off cuz they 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 turned yeah. these out all as a group in Romania in that's right, that's like right. 2003 maybe early 2004 and then sat on them for a couple years. Well um, here's the thing. Um World of Warcraft you know, it would like the baseline thing that we think about as an MMO, right? That came out in 2004. So it, you know, they, there wasn't a lot of MMOs before that, but there, there were some, you know, there was Ultima Online, like way the hell back. And the MMO like is presented in the, yeah, Ever, oh, EverQuest, exactly. That That's, yeah, EverQuest and then uh, Heroescape or just all of those. Yeah, yeah no, I mean, we, there was a, there had been a handful of MMOs that were sort of yeah. pre-Watershed wow moment because we think of wow as sort of like the definitive one but it's really the definitive like contemporary generation there were a few of these games but they were all a lot less clearly uh defined in style than world of warcraft ended up being but there was you know there was a general idea of what an mmo is the mmo in this movie seems to be some sort of it's not even a flash game it's it's just like animated gif based something it's they show you maybe i'm gonna say like two or three minutes well i'm sorry no i'm gonna say 45 seconds of footage from this game where somebody clicks on a glowing door and then uh le marcha uh, the, the the box comes out and then they click on different parts of it and then that's it this is the the entirety of the game that we see and it's you know it's 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 really weird cop out i'm gonna um, i'm gonna go further i'm my argument is I don't think that was even footage of the game per se. I mean, maybe it was originally de- designed to be a bit of footage of the game, but but the mm-hmm. way that thing is presented, that was basically just like a little flash game to unlock the invitation to the party. Like, I don't think we ever saw any game footage that wasn't that specific thing that seemed like just a dumb little like viral advertisement uh, type flash application just to get you an earned invitation to the party like they 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 open the door and they solve the box and boom there's your invitation to the leviathan house for this this big hell world party that's on wait wait what was the address of it it was something like hill rise road oh i don't remember yes it was hill rise road that was yeah what where what country i mean it 
it it has to be Romania well, because well yeah but 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 not 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 where oh, was it was actually mean, made. I mean, what oh. was the invitation say? Does oh, it have I, a like a state I, and a city? I don't think it did. Um, the 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 shots where we actually saw U.S. plates on cars, there was like there was a New York plate, and I think there was like a Jersey or maybe a Connecticut plate. Okay, because I was um, I was assuming it was supposed to be New England from what little we could see. Yeah. it's plausible, but oh, this is this is a thing. Uh, this this house it takes place Leviathan House is where the party is, and we find out that it's got a long history, a history which starts with it being a convent built by Philippe Le Marchand, right? Yeah. And so, what the fuck was Philippe Le Marchand doing building a convent in fucking Connecticut or whatever? Yeah, he Philippe was, Le Marchand he was who in died France, at the age of like twenty four. Yeah, in France, be, he where like, he was a yeah. fucking French. I what? Like, and this, Maybe, and this is his second greatest accomplishment after yeah. the box is this convent. See, what I'm what I'm thinking is that the the Hellraiser, like the the original, like what you know, the uh, the the original like Hellraiser movie, is a movie in this world, and Le Marchand exists in this world, but as a different guy with a completely different history. Because there's also that painting of him looking like an old man. Yeah. Which, and you know, so. Well, okay, I, actually, we don't know for sure that Philippe died young. We know that he fell into the clutches of Angelique oh, young. True. He may have lived out, maybe that's what happened. Like, he lived out a long uh, life. She was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm done with being in France. Let's go have you be my eternal sex slave in, I don't know, Rhode Island, you know? <laughs> and so they, maybe they moved, and then she sort of kept him around, and he got to grow up and be old and get painted apparently go back Maybe. to france yeah. uh get another cube yeah, yeah it's, but it, it could be i like your idea that it could be a, a different life story like maybe the the original hellraiser movie was based on an idea that was like sort of a vlad the impaler uh twisting by that universe's right. clive barker uh into being some guy who was actually from france rather than just a guy with a french name who liked to make puzzle boxes that didn't actually kill anybody and and we have to speculate like this because the movie does does not you know put forth any effort in trying to just square the difference between hellraiser the popular movie franchise with a fandom and the you know hellraiser mythos as existing in that world because people like know specific things about the hellraiser mythos i think like one of the first lines in this movie is the phrase Cenobites aren't real um, so yeah the, it, the, there's just absolutely no effort expended in trying to explain w- why anything is happening and then I mean if you want to just go all the way to, to, to the end here spoiler alert <laughs> Jesus Christ no it's not <laughs> you can't spoil this movie spoil somebody itself. obviously could Spoiled uh, itself. Mm. It, it was all a hallucination. Like the, the entire movie from like the party onward is one long hallucination. Um, one long shared yeah. hallucination somehow. And who fucking knows? Created by, you know, uh, Lance Henriksen whispering sweet nothings. It's the, no, none of this movie makes sense. Like we complained about this in. Um, in Hellseeker, where they set where they set up all of these things and then never follow through on them, and then just sort of wave them away with the fact that oh, it was all a dream, it was all you know a fear hallucination. This movie does this, and it does it so much worse. Where it's not even you don't even care about the mystery. 
Like they, they don't even get you to the point where you want answers because it's so obvious that you're never getting them and that there's no follow-up to any of the questions that they try to set up that just – I it, it's hard to think that people actually made this movie. It's it, it's really like, – like, like Hellseeker, I would say uh, – Oh, like 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 Helsing, or even 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 the one like we we've talked about the comparison to Jacob's Ladder and the idea that yes, mm-hmm. okay, uh, like 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 if if Hellseeker was like Jacob's footstool, <laughs> this is like Jacob's and eh, like a welcome mat. You know, there's like there's not even any. Uh, this is a terrible <laughs> try, <laughs> metaphor to try and make a joke about because it doesn't make sense. But neither does the film, so it's a perfect metaphor. Jacob's unfinished. Oh my. J- J- Jacob's shitting his pants. That's what this is. <laughs> if Jacob's Ladder is a film about what happens when you know a man is laying dying, uh, this is a film about what happens when a man gets so bored that he falls asleep standing up and then poops in his pants. That's that's what this film is. There we go. Uh, <laughs> I I don't know how to recover from this. Uh, it's I, it really it's galling. It's amazing. It's just I I could talk for an hour about how upset I am at their failure to even engage in their own gimmick. I mean, it's just yeah. it really is disappointing that they did so little to try and engage with the idea of this as a fictional world people were engaging with as real world characters. Uh, that uh, and a really solid waste of Lance Henriksen. Oh God, yeah. I mean, he's fine in his like he seems like he showed up stoned and just did his parts and he was yeah. still better than you know the rest of the movie for the most part but like that's not saying much and he was just he he seems he seems legitimately bored for most <laughs> of the film when he's on screen yeah. like he seems like he really has been up for 36 hours uh just like you know went on a coke binge he's still standing he's not going to be in an hour or so but let's get this Let's I have a feeling that all those cigarettes he lit were completely unscripted, and he's just like, <laughs> I, I really need this right now. <laughs> it is, it's called Method Boda. Fuck off. <laughs> let, me, uh, let me do my thing here. Uh, Smoking cost him like an extra $900 in like fire bills. The cast in this film, I had to, I finally sort of learned the characters' names by the end of the film just from people saying them. I only learned, I only finally retained Derek's name after he was dead and people were talking about him. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Allison and Chelsea, I was getting confused until we heard Chelsea's name like 20 times. Her name is Chelsea, but her name's really Chelsea. Everybody just, she's Chelsea. Chelsea. Yeah. Which looks really weird when you type it. It's like yeah, and Chels. on the, uh, it also looks really weird on the closed captioning. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was a typo repeatedly. It's like, oh, no, no, let me just listen closer here. And the cast, um, so the cast of this film, we've got, we've got Lance Henriksen, as mentioned, wasted poorly as the dad of the dead guy, Adam, who is the central sort of MacGuffin of the film, sort of. But you don't know that. That's actually yeah, that, that's, that's, that's a big, big twist deal at the end that makes not a lick of fucking sense. Yeah, no one really cares. It's, it's, it's set up very briefly in the opening scene of the film. And then... Maybe they had like a in the, in the writers' room. They had a dartboard of like horror movie plot twists, and then you get like it was all a dream. It was his dad. Yep. Um, you know, it's an alternate universe, and they just sort of like you know aimed a couple of darts, and it hit you know the, those first two, and it's like all right, that's what we're yeah, going this, with. Th- I guess. This really is Nightmare on Elm Street meets Friday the Thirteenth in terms of those plot twist premises, because like like in Nightmare on Elm Street, that's it turns out it's dreams, although in a less uh, literally deadly way it's more uh, circumstantially deadly than uh, freddy being someone who haunts your dreams but then we've got the friday the 13th oh it was actually the parent 
all along. Getting uh, revenge twist, for. Yeah. No, they, they don't even make it clear. So what happens is, is that um, what's his name? It's Adam. Oh, Adam's the dead Adam. kid. Yeah, Adam. So the, the the movie opens with like Adam digging his own grave, and then well, with you know, Adam digging, we don't know that yeah, it's his we, own grave. Okay, but, yeah, uh, with Adam digging, but there's a lot of grave digging imagery in this. So um, I think it was supposed to be like allude to the grave digging imagery in the future. And now that we're actually talking about this aloud, it's stupid. Um, but. And then it just immediately goes forward to uh, like the opening credits, which use that fucking Diablo font. <laughs> yep. This it, it's you know that font is on like is is just like on par with Papyrus as far as just overused, just terribly overused font. Are you in a goth metal band? Are you making a low budget uh, horror movie? <laughs> We've got the font for you. And it's the not tea even the real Diablo like font. Yeah, it's like the free one. It's like Diabler. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Diabolic. so there's a lot of lingering shots on this, you know, um, funeral scene. And I feel like if it wasn't for half the lingering shots in this movie, it'd be about 45 minutes long. I was surprised that it was long as it was. And I was yeah. surprised a couple times in the movie when I looked at how much time was left and surprised how much time was left. It really... And then angry. Well, yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, but so, and then it goes to his funeral, and then you see at his funeral is, you know, we, we've got the four teens, Chelsea, Jake, Derek, and Mike. I have the IMDb entry open in front of me. <laughs> um, and, and Allison. Allison too. And Allison. Oh, yeah, and then Jake is the one who's kind of like standoffish because he blames the other four for his death, but we never figure out why Adam kills himself. We, we find out how, um, but we, we don't find out why, and we don't find out why the four of those people are responsible, and... Jake is really fucking pissed off at them, or he's, you know, just a petty asshole, or maybe both. I'm going to go with both. Yeah, and there, there's a lot of blame, and it really sets up like you, you're you going to find out that, you know, like, you know, they goaded him into killing himself, but you never find anything out about why he's dead. And it especially stings when you find out that the whole movie is a revenge scheme by Lance Henriksen, because you don't find out what it is that he's getting revenge for. You find out, like, specifically what, what the, the result of these people's horrible actions was, was that his son died, but you don't find out how or why or... or, or all, you, all you know is that it happened two years ago. Yeah, and there's, there's, that, that, there's and lots of disclaiming alive. of responsibility and then guiltful claiming of responsibility, but there's yeah. no discussion of what the thing is that there was responsibility other than this vague boogaboo of getting too involved in something that was just a game. Or is it just a game? Is it just a game now? It was just a game. Hey, we were all addicted to Hell World. He made his own decisions. Ah, it's just like they yeah. keep going back and forth on that throughout the film. But what? Yeah, what was the fucking decision? What happened? What did he get wrapped up in? Was there a... That he set himself on fire. That he yeah, dug a hole and he, set himself on fire. Yeah, well, that's the weird thing is the fact that he dug himself a grave and then implicitly let himself lit himself on fire, covered himself in gasoline, set himself on fire, and then, what, aimed the for candle. the grave? Yeah, and, and had the presence of mind to be like, well, I'd better make sure I fall in this hole when I fall screaming to the ground after immolating. And there's a couple of shots. There's, um, in the funeral shot, uh, uh, Chelsea cracks open the casket, and you see him, like, deformed from, like, that, that you later find out is from the burning. And then there's another, like, really quick pan where, you know, the burned uh, Adam is there. I'm 95% sure he's wearing a Freddy Krueger mask. Was, 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 the, was a quick pan where you saw him when she wandered in that room that she then got locked in? 
I think so, Because yeah. I couldn't tell what that was because I was trying to watch it uh, in the living room on my projector, like, in the middle of the afternoon. And we've got a pretty good projector, but, like, the middle of the afternoon versus a very dark scene doesn't yeah. come through so well. So, so me and my wife, we were like, uh, what is, uh, is this a Cenobite? Is it a Cenobite mask? I don't know. So, I'm so that's pretty good to know. sure that was supposed to be Adam. I, I, um, I would buy that. Which makes no followed. sense because at the end, Adam is supposed to be the one that saves everybody. Well, yeah, but she, but by this time, she was already hallucinating, right? So, And she had followed yeah. a hallucination of Adam, or was it his ghost, into the house. You know, God, there's fuck, this fucking movie, you know? It's... <laughs> Here, okay, here's the thing, and we need to establish this. It's not just that it was all just a dream or all just a series of group hallucinations. It's that things that would otherwise be a, you know, what exactly happened there? What was going on? You know, ghost story things. Like the fact that she follows Adam into – she sees Adam from across the room at the party at one point, And she goes into the room that she sees him go into. And then she – we get a, a pan past his burnt face that she never sees uh, – the fact that he would be there with a burnt face and we would be showing him even though she doesn't see him, that's completely fucking pointless to do if the room never existed and he wasn't there and she wasn't there because she was imagining it all. Because why would she imagine herself not seeing something that we see? It's like, it's like we're sharing in their group hallucination. I know for sure I didn't drink any of Lance Rec- Henriksen's you know, moonshine, so I'm not having a hallucination. You didn't I'm watching stroke Pinhead's face on a tarot card? Yes. Oh, jeez. So it's like, it's like what, what is the fucking purpose of showing us a hallucination that the person having the hallucination doesn't even know about. It's there's no the bits in it mechanically it makes no fucking sense. It's you know it's upsettingly yeah. stupid. It's it's ah you know you know what else? Here's the thing. So he throws apparently Lance Henriksen throws the fifth anniversary, and it's never made clear if he's actually because he calls himself like a Hellraiser super fan, and he's never made clear. That whether he is or not, or but apparently it's the fifth Hellraiser party. There's an actual party that he throws at which he, you know, poisons all the kids to make them hallucinate. But the thing is, they're all buried in the front yard. So he he must have poisoned them, gotten their bodies to the front yard where at this party where people are coming and going, and buried them in the front yard while all this was happening. Yeah, like that's the oh god. I there mean, is, yeah, th- there's a certain it, audacity to it, but there's he's not sold as that interest. Like, we don't get enough about the characters to see any motivation for why he would do this crazy, audacious approach to murdering these kids. Like, it's yeah, uh, yeah it doesn't it doesn't hold together at all. Like, if the whole party was imaginary somehow, that'd be one thing. But yeah. it's not. The party's actually, as you say, happening. They they show up at this big, busy party that apparently a bunch of people did want to come to. And uh, go and be debaucherous, and then and yeah, immediately and there right was, there, there was he, the whole cell phone mask thing. So apparently, at this party where people are encouraged to fuck, um, uh, you know, he Lance Henriksen is like he points out like these series of like these paper like really plain white face paper mache masks with numbers on them and Nokia's and he's just like you know just you know if you want to if you want to get laid you know just dial the number of the person who's ma- who's wearing that mask and. Um, you know, then they'll fuck you, I guess. Um, and but then, like at the end of the movies, like there were never, you know, really any phones. It was just like the phone that I put nearby your head in, like the coffin that I buried you in while you were hallucinating. But the phone thing happened before they were all hallucinating, right? 
Yeah, there's there, there there's the there's the notable delay in uh, first Chelsea. Chelsea's a little bit slow to get doped up, and then Jake, mm-hmm. the standoffish one, uh, is particularly late to get dosed up. And yeah, yeah I'm wait, sure on, that- let's let, let's run through these. So, um, Mike, who's played by Henry Cavill, by the way. Uh, yeah, he was in something recently. What was that? Oh Superman. yeah, Superman. He was Superman, um, and he was also on the Tudors, which I have to say. As, as long as you know uh, we're talking about Henry Cavill, if you've seen, if you're listening to this and you've seen the first season of The Tudors and it sucks, please watch the second season. It's a really good show. Um, but yeah, so he's in this. Also, Catherine Winnick, who plays uh, Chels, she was on season six of Bones. Yes, um, she played Booth's um, like new girlfriend who leaves him. After Excellent. like three episodes. And it's really funny because the, I, I will explain to you the quality of her acting. When I found this out, I had to go – I've seen you know, basically all of Bones. Um, and I had to go on YouTube, find clips that have her in it with Booth. And I'm still not entirely convinced she was in there even after seeing these clips. <laughs> I am just like that's probably her, but there's no way for me to tell. When so been, I, I'm taking, I, I'm trusting IMDb on this. She, she's been in Vikings apparently very recently, and someone else in a previous Hellraiser cast. When I was looking at what they'd been in, had, had oh, also been in Vikings lately. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Hmm. Uh, and uh, she was also on uh, a few other like uh, I think crime and law. Like she was on some CSI and on some uh, yeah, uh, Law and Order. And criminal intent. She's in Nikita, the recent film, the uh, TV series. And and Jake was in some of the same ones as her. So those two seem to be traveling the same circles. She's definitely like a a you know n- uh, network TV procedural uh, side character quality actress. Yeah, she seems to be doing a lot of character acting uh, in that context. Yeah. Derek. Uh, has been crazy busy with like voice work in games. Yeah, yeah, he's a uh, cyborg, right? In Teen Titans. Yeah, and a ton of other shit. Uh, he's in Watch Dogs, which I'm kind of looking forward huh. to. Oh yeah, uh, the uh, that yeah, I saw the previews the, for that. The in hacker that game. Yeah, we'll see how that actually plays out in practice, but it looks like it Allison, looks like it could be neat. Yeah, um, Allison has been in like nothing. Yeah, well, no, and she, it she's shows because she's terrible. Allison has been Allison's been in not much. You know who's been in nothing is Adam. Adam has never been in anything other than this film. He may be an actual ghost. And it, it's that's possible crazy that film because his IMDb entry has like a, like a straight up like actor's headshot. And yeah, he hasn't been in anything else. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of crazy. And did, he, did he even have any lines in the film other than possibly being the one whispering Chelsea a couple times? Ah, is that a line? line? If that is considered a line, he had the first line in the movie. Ha ha! Although I don't, we didn't see the screaming in the first in the opening. Oh, we, we just saw some digging. Oh, that's right. We may have Wait, heard. No. We may have heard. Yeah. Oh, there. You're right. I've got. With so the he big, turns to face the camera. Ah! So. Yeah. Yeah. I did have that note. Okay. So and, and yeah, and then Lance Henriksen, of course, who's been in so many things better than this, and is a joy to watch in almost any other context. It really uh, is. Have you seen uh, Hard Target starring Jean-Claude Van Damme? I have not. Is he in that? Yes, he is. He is the villain in that, and it is a, it's a John Woo movie, actually. Oh, and man. It's really, okay. really good. That's on the list. See, uh, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme is generally a way to get me not to watch it. I mean, I like a dumb action movie, and I'll sit through it, but uh, I've never liked him at all. So uh, the, I, I, I would I'll, sooner I'll watch a uh, Steven Seagal film, and I fucking hate Steven Seagal, oh, but at least he's, <laughs> it's fun watching someone being kind of chubby and not as badass as they want to be. 
my, my favorite part about Hard Target was that the the final act takes place. This movie, the movie takes place in New Orleans, and the final act takes place in the old abandoned, exploding Mardi Gras float factory. Nice, nice. Yeah. Let's just talk about Hard Target. I know you haven't seen it, but <laughs> well, it's, uh, I, um, I, I will probably enjoy it more than uh, Jesus. Yeah. You know, I I, I kind of. We went, I think, record length last time for what was yeah. at that point the worst film in the franchise. Yeah. I kind of don't want to do that again. Yeah, I was about like, to I kinda, say. I, I want to go let's, through this movie chronologically. Let's, There's no yeah, point let, to that. Let, let's just let's talk about high points. Let's start displaying some basic capacity for concision and uh, and save uh, save the, oh, the um, long form for uh, something worth it. <laughs> as they walk into the party, these uh, these two women who are topless descend, and I think either Derek turns to Mike or Mike turns to Derek. Like, Mike and Derek are supposed to be, like, you know, kind of the jokester guys, and one of them turns to the other and says, hey, gratuitous tit shot. And, and then the other one, one says, replies, it's eh, necessary tit shot is yeah. what Mike says in response to Derek there. And it's like, this is a perfect example of like, the, the film is trying to shout about its self-awareness. Like, it it, it knows... It knows it's a horror movie. It knows we know it's a horror movie. It knows that we know that it's an entry in a horror franchise. Its characters are supposed to understand horror, even though they don't know that they're in a horror movie. You know, and it's that, like, it's that Scream thing. Like, Scream very much, it, what, I don't think Scream was, it couldn't have been the first film, uh, horror film to display some nod to self-awareness, but it was clearly the big cultural landmark yeah. for getting deconstructionist about your own genre yeah. uh, as horror films go. It was the first time that they really put horror-savvy characters front and center for more than just a throwaway, oh, don't go in there sort of joke. You know, yeah, the like, genre-savviness of this reminds me of – that this is where like a generation gap between you and me might show, but – Cartoons from like 1989 on all had like sort of an ironic self-awareness about them that was sometimes good, like in Animaniacs or Tiny Toon Adventures or Freakazoid, and sometimes just really abysmal, like in maybe 90% of all the other cartoons. <laughs> and it's it's that level of genre savvy where somebody actually says to somebody else, "It's like a bad horror movie." Yeah, it's it's just really lampshade hangy, and if you have if you have too much time, go to TV Tropes, look up the phrase lampshade hanging. Yeah, um, and you know what's real? What's uh, about the the gratuitous tit shot line? Cabin in the Woods, which is like the apex of, in my opinion, it's the apex of like the self aware horror movie, did the exact same thing, so much better. Yeah, well, and that's just the thing. That's yeah. This 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 film does a bunch of self-aware genre-savvy stuff, but it doesn't do it well. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, if you if you might make, like, a gamut of, like, so we, this movie is, like, on the opposite end of Cabin in the Woods. We should really do a compare-contrast episode, like, on this topic at some point, where we just, like, review several different films that touch on this idea and look at how they accomplished it. But uh, Yeah, that's a great idea. But not right now. <laughs> Let's. No, Damn, I'm just thinking about how much better that would yeah. be than this. Um, there's a, a there. There was a when um, when Lance Henriksen, whose character doesn't have a name, he's called the host, but I'm not calling him the host. I'm calling him Lance Henriksen, and I'm also pretending this is actually Lance Henriksen. Um, <laughs> That we don't know that it's not. Little... We don't yeah, know Adam's exactly. last name. We don't know the host's yeah. name. He could be. We know his. All we know about him is that his dad is always away somewhere, which makes sense because Lance Henriksen's an actor yeah, and has to is... be on location. Exactly. This is the story about the death of Adam Henriksen. <laughs> this is a. This is a very personal 
autobiographical meditation by Lance Henriksen. He actually wrote the thing. He actually plays every character. The makeup is very impressive in this film. Who? Uh, uh, so this movie takes place in 2000, and let's say it takes place around the time it was shot, 2004. Lance Henriksen would have been 64 years old. His son, um, they pin- actually pinpoint the fact that his son died at the age of 16, two years prior to this movie taking place. See, that was something so I didn't get from the film. I wasn't sure. Sorry to interrupt. I just I want to note this at least for further discussion. I wasn't sure how old everyone was. And I'll, we'll come back to that in a second. But please continue. Adam is supposed to be 18 because they mentioned that he was 16 when he died and the movie takes place two years after his funeral. Right. Um, which means that Lance Henriksen must have had him when he was 58 years old. Which happens, but... No, 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 48 by that. Wait, that, hang on. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, no, that is a lot more likely. And it could well, still thanks happen. Thanks for I ruining mean, my point with sorry. Matt. I, I, think, I think it's still fair. He's an old yeah. dad, um, yeah. relatively speaking. Um, certainly not the oldest, but that's, that's, that's a yeah. big, big gap. But then maybe Lance Henriksen, uh, if we go on the crazy idea that he's actually playing a character other than himself at that time, he could just be, you know, 10 years younger and just looking sort of weatherbitten because, as he notes, he likes to party. Yeah, that's um, true. He does like to party, which involves smoking cigarettes while hanging around a party and doing nothing. Yep. I want to um, I, I note just as a brief thing, the gratuitous tit shot girl coming mm-hmm. down the stairs, she actually does – she probably shows up incidentally throughout the film too. But late in the film, there's a shot like really late where Lance Henriksen is smoking – uh, a cigarette and sort of looking down off a balcony. This may be when he was explaining, you know, about the party that he went back to after burying them. And she's just sort of standing there right next to him, like not like engaging with him, but like at least they used it as a recurring. And she's still, you know, wearing her vest that's like tiny vest that doesn't cover her breast thing. Uh, so at least they, 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 I don't know. It, it felt like a visual callback, at least sort of. But uh, it's not really uh, giving the film a whole lot of credit there or anything. Just they didn't fire that actress between shooting those two scenes, <laughs> I guess, is the entirety of my note here. Uh, you know, what? I actually want to say one more thing about the gratuitous tit shot is that it wasn't gratuitous. It was completely incidental until they pointed it out and started talking about it. Yeah, you're like up until that point, it was actually more like, okay, we're establishing that there's a little bit more of like uh, sort of leg- legitimately like, you know, hedonistic libertine. These people are here to, you know, party, you know, Hellraiser fans are big uh uh, big on uh, yeah, like uh, key parties and uh, casual nudity and whatnot. Because like you know, whatever they're they're down, man. They're uh, they're the uh, hell's angels of fandoms, you know. Uh, and then yeah, and then the film's like goes from like establishing this to establishing that the characters are dorkily self-aware of it, and then makes it sort of weird. Uh, and and the thing is, there's other totally not remarked upon gratuitous. Uh, sexy bits later too like there's a couple different like bits of soft core stuff going on that don't get remarked upon riley they're just sort of taken at face value as what's happening which is except for uh, that couple fucking on the couch where um what i think it was jake's wandering around he's like hey does anybody else see this yep and yeah you know i have to say there's there's a scene where um you know so uh where jake who's like the standoffish sort of guy he uh, he's wandering around the, this uh, like a room in the party, and people are talking and drinking. And he comes up to the bartender, who is Carl Dupre, who was the bartender from Hellraiser Three, um, and, and the writer like, hey. of this and uh, Hellraiser Six. Ah, uh, wait, he wrote this one? Yeah, 
Yeah, he Wait, wrote is, this and he Is that who Joel Swasson is? Uh, I Because, I mean, the spec script for this was by Joel Swasson, but last time I pointed this out, uh, it, was, it turns out that, you know, we were talking about the same person with a pen name. <laughs> I don't think... No, I, I, think, I think Joel Swasson is probably the guy who wrote the spec script, and then Carl oh, Dupre okay. is the guy who adapted that to ah, a Hellraiser film. And he yeah. worked with Tim Day on Hellraiser 6, and then Tim Day uh, did 7, and he did this one. So, oh, okay. The dream team broke well, up and took separate stabs at the follow-ups, and all failed. Um, but yeah, so he, you know, he comes up to the bartender. He's like, "Hey, let me get a drink." And the bartender pours a drink, but gives it to somebody else and completely ignores him. And he tries to come up to like some other people talking and completely ignore him. And it's supposed to be sort of like a, you know, oh, he's dead and a ghost. And that's why anybody doesn't see him. But even that doesn't really work. But I just have to say, it was a really, really well-made uh, illustration of what it's like to be socially awkward at a big party. <laughs> I know it's like, like, and they're sort of playing it that way. But like, on the one hand, I think. And maybe it's that I was rewatching the film, or maybe it's just that it's sort of like the obvious potential things you can do with a character. But like it, it felt pretty obvious to me early on that that was what was going on. But it also felt obvious that it should have been more obvious to him than it was. But I didn't chalk that up to an interesting character note about his unwillingness to believe that was going on so much as it just yeah it didn't work super well, you know. But yeah, and, and yeah, he saw that couple fucking on the couch, and and then and then later he sees that nun up on a balcony, and I guess I, I felt like that was supposed to be the nun who was in the picture, who was imp- yeah, like down in the basement, who's implied to be the mother superior, who then got into the box, and that was the end of the convent because things sort of went south after that. But she looked really young to be a mother superior. And it wasn't really established for sure whether it was her. And also the lady he had sex with, maybe it's just that habit covered her hair and the photo was washed out and the scene with her at the balcony was poorly lit. But it looked like the girl he ended up having sex with was darker skinned than the, the nun in the photo and on the balcony. I was confused a little bit by that. But yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, he goes and has sex with her. And then that doesn't turn into a uh, weird, oh, but you're actually fucking some horrible ghoul thing, which is totally where yeah, I expected it, that scene to go. Right? Instead, it actually plays out like just some softcore sexual encounter, complete with like happy, well, not happy music, but like sort of tinkly romantic music and a slow fade to black. Uh, and, then, and then when the light comes up, we see a shot of him and it sort of pulls out and she's still there and just her, not like some horrible yeah. monster. And later she's missing, but we don't get any follow-up on that. Uh, there's actually a really funny continuity uh, error in during the sex scene where you know they're sort of like taking off each other's clothes and but he leaves his jeans on just completely he doesn't unbutton them he doesn't unbelt them and then he just sort of like lays down kind of on top of her and then there's a scene from above but now like the blanket is over like his ass basically and he's thrusting and uh, there is no point at which it's implied that any time took place between those two shots so I, I I think they're just dry humping under there. I guess so. You know, it's it's he, he's in he's a never nude is what it yeah. is. Ah, this is really yeah. a film about about uh, this is a prequel to Arrested Development. That was actually Doctor Tobias his, yeah, He changed his name uh, as part of his therapy to get over that uh, terrible situation at that house because as we established at the end of the film, he lived. So uh, that was yeah, that's right. The, the the there's two last girls and one of them's a guy. Right. And you don't um, like either of them. Yeah. And uh, speaking of continuity editing errors, there's um, the the shots of them going to the party. 
the they're, they're in like a jeep or something and it really clearly has you like those big european plates and then they get to the party and it's got new york plates and they just did not even bother in any way like at the very least just throw the european plates in the car when it gets to the party but no no they they did not even bother with that yeah and some, um some b-roll that uh didn't get yeah the, uh, there was that, and uh, Chelsea. At one point, Chelsea's implied to be uh, very familiar with the Hellraiser franchise, but she refers to it as Lemorshan's box in the beginning. And they don't actually—I I don't know if they ran out of film or time—but they never actually bothered correcting that, and they didn't point it out in any way. And this is the kind of movie where that sort of thing would be immediately pointed out because it's funny, right? Yeah, you're, you're um, geeking out together. Like, okay, yeah, that was a thing that really bothered me. Is there's. Like, they only got as far as showing that the characters had knowledge of things that fans of the Hellraiser franchise should know about without ever even touching the idea that people would be annoyingly pedantic and disagreeable about the details <laughs> or correcting each other or one-upping each other. I mean, this is we've, – we've recorded – we're closing on an hour 20 of a podcast just talking about the movies, and we're not even – I would say super fans at all. Like at this point we're above average in terms of time spent thinking about it, but I don't think either of us went into this as like, Oh my God, Hellraiser is the best thing ever. It was more like, yeah, Oh my gosh, they made a bunch sure of these movies. Make a lot of these. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we have managed to produce this much just bullshitting about this, but the characters who are like ultimate super fans to dangerous levels in this film have nothing to say to each other about it, which is, yep. it's, it's, Except- it's appalling. And the, the also there's a scene where they make fun of Star Trek or Star Wars. I can't figure out which because they had to call it Space Wars. Yes, this is another thing. The, the, can you not say I, I? Can you not say Star Trek in a movie? Is I think, that I think you can. I think they just. Who's going to sue them? Who's going to see this that's going to sue them? Yeah, I, I, I don't know if it was out of an abundance of caution or if they just thought it was funnier. But if you're making a movie where you're trying to establish that you this movie, unlike previous movies, is taking place in the real world where the previous franchise is suggested to be an actual fictive franchise in that world universe, you want to establish the reality through you know casual references to reality. So if you're going to talk about Trekkies, say Trekkies. That makes so much sense. And put it in context. I had to stop and say, what the fuck are they talking about before I realized, oh, they're talking about Star Trek, but they're calling it Space Voyager instead of calling it Star Trek. Call them Trekkies. Refer to Star Trek. Establish some goddamn fucking reality, you sons of... Okay, and here's the thing. Here's the thing. I got really upset about this because apparently a lot of things in this franchise upset me at this point. But I, I was thinking about it, and one of the things I kept trying to think about during the film, as I have with the last several is the fact that it started as a spec script. The fact that it started as not a Hellraiser film means some of the things in here that just don't quite work may just not quite work, partly because they just didn't survive that transition very well. And that could be part of the thing, because originally this must have been some other game, probably some like intentionally pointedly fictional game, like like, like yeah. not not some horror franchise or game that was real in the real world, but something that was just made up, you know, call it, uh, you know, Demon Quest, you know, and so in the original spec script, probably I could see like Demon Quest being this intentionally figurative, intentionally referential, uh, jokey thing rather than, yeah. you know, a, an actual uh, media property. And so comparing Demon Quest to Space Voyage, okay, sure, yeah, we've got like the people who do the 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 Star Trek riffy thing versus the people who do the horror franchise riffy thing. But then once, yeah, once you make Hellraiser the concrete referent in the film, then. Uh, so maybe that's why. Maybe maybe that's why they called it fucking Space Voyage. 
Uh, yep. I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Why did we do this to ourselves, Yakov? What were we thinking? I don't know. Oh, so, God. um, so all of the, uh, I, all of the teenagers get uh, get get drugged, and so I, I guess we should probably go through how they yeah, get drugged. Let's so discuss this. They, they show up at this party, and they're there for I'm gonna they're there for a good amount of time before Lance Henriksen actually actually finds them, and he's just like invitations, and they all show their printed out invitations that are printed with a really good printer on really quality photo paper, which was kind of weird. But then he invites them back to you know Mike have a probably chat works with at Kinkos. Them. We didn't get to see it, but he uh, he works yeah. at Kinkos, yeah. Um, <laughs> so he invites them back for a chat, and so um, Mike and Derek take a shot of liquor that he very conspicuously doesn't, so that's how they get drugged. Fucking Allison sprays perfume in her face. I, it's like <laughs> just a all, random bottle of perfume. Well, and she's like, ooh, you decenobite. But then she points the fucking perfume yeah. diffuser at her face and squeezes the bulb and gets perfume in her face and then seems upset that she shot herself. <laughs> and it's like, you fucking perfume thing. What are you doing functioning? That's and not what you're supposed to like, do. The, when I squeeze you, nothing's like, supposed to happen. <laughs> this is in like his Hellraiser trophy room where something she had picked up Previously, he's just like, it's made of human skin. He's just like, why spray yourself with like a random liquid? It's like, oh, that that's ghost jizz. I, I collected it in a perfume bottle. I, I, you probably shouldn't have done that. Yeah. Um, it actually, it reminds me of, um, do you watch Better Off Ted? Have you watched it? I yes, mean? yes. Do you remember the, the racism episode with Operation White Shadow where they get white people to follow all the black people around oh, because the black people can't set off the uh, motion detector sensors? Right, yeah. So um, Lem gets assigned like this stoner kid who's just like constantly listening to stuff on his headphones and he just like pokes at some like random substance in the lab and licks it. And he's just like, <laughs> what is this? And then he licks it again. He's like, I think it's salt. And then Phil and Lem's like, it's salt, you idiot. He's like, I, I actually think it's salt. And they both walk out and uh, Phil's like, wow, you really shouldn't eat things in here. And um, actually, also coincidentally, I've been watching a lot of Fringe, and I keep thinking of that every scene in the lab. Just that you really shouldn't eat things in here. So anyway, so yeah, she sprays herself in the face with perfume. Um, and then I think it's, I, I, is it Jake that like takes out the tarot cards? No, no, it's Mike. Oh. Okay, so it's Jake and Derek that take a shot. No, no, it's, it's, it's... <laughs> It's oh god, who is it? It's oh yeah, no, no, it's it's not Jake. It's not God. No, I think I think they poison Mike twice. Yeah, Mike Mike gets it twice. <laughs> I guess is what happens because Mike <laughs> drinks a shot and he plays with the tar- God. That's right. Ah, uh, oh, Jesus, Mike. So he whips fucking- out this uh, deck of tarot cards. He's like, yeah, tell your future for five bucks. He puts a whole bunch of them down in front before he starts dealing them. Like he cuts the deck. And you know he lays out a couple of cards, and then he takes out there's a there's a death card, and it's um it's it's Pinhead holding the the the, uh, the box, and then he just sort of lovingly strokes Pinhead's face with his thumb, and he takes his thumb away, and there's a bunch of like wet ink on it, but it's not the color of anything he stroked, and the card's not smudged. Yeah, it's just sort of blackish and bluish ink, and there's there's black and bluish ink among others on that card. So okay, but yeah, there's no smudging. But he's got some. And ink the card on was it. clearly like in the middle of the deck somewhere. So how much tarot did Lance Henriksen like expect these kids to play before one of them actually got poisoned? And he's got this. Oh, and the and other, the, 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 there was one other thing is that they cross cut. Um, I think there might be like a quick cut in between, but they cross cut between like the painting of Lamarchand and the uh, tarot card with Pinhead on it. 
And in the painting, Le Marchand is holding the entire box with one hand, and it fits, like, snugly in there. On the tarot card, Pinhead is holding the box with, like, two hands. It's, like, the size of a basketball. It, it's and, like, yeah, it's like someone paint, whoever did that tarot card had briefly gotten a glance at like the poster for the original Hellraiser and had that memory to work with. And it's like, oh, yeah, he was holding some big old box. I don't remember. Tarot, tarot, tarot. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. And that's how they all get poisoned except for Jake. Except for Jake and Chelsea. Chelsea doesn't uh, do right. anything. I, I, I couldn't remember because I remembered that they were all getting poisoned. Uh, but I couldn't remember how. And Chelsea's sort of playing with some manacles at one point that they never come back to, but she's sort of like putting them on. It's like, did she get like manacle poison on her wrist or something? <laughs> but it turns no, out, yes, no, she gets they, poisoned later in the least yeah, sensible way. They go down to the basement, and you know how, um, I think it was it was the second Hellraiser movie where they had like that creepy dead baby. So whoever did the prop design for this movie thought, hmm, dead baby, creepy. You know what? I bet if we have ten dead babies, it'll be ten times as creepy. There's just like a shitload of specimen jars with dead babies in them. The specimen and jar thing is another weird horror trope that I really want to yeah. see a visual example. Because we were just watching an episode of Supernatural the other day uh, where they also had an old house with specimen jars in it. And uh, that reminded Angela of uh, the... Uh, seen in uh, American Horror Story in the first season at one point. You know, where oh, I haven't seen that one oh, yet. I want to see oh, that one. Is that one actually scary? I, I have troubles with things that are like genuinely scary. So it's a bit. I, I would say it's surprisingly effective at being scary for like you know television and like, like television yeah. series horror. But at the same time, it, it didn't particularly spook me. But I'm kind of hard to spook at this point. Um, but I enjoyed it. It's it's, it's really I've heard fun. Nothing it's, but good things about it. Yeah. from like really varied sort of audiences. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. I think you should check it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, the specimen jar thing. Anyway, uh, um, yeah. So yeah, so they're all down in this basement, and just at some point, Lance Henriksen just grabs Chelsea's arm and stabs her with a pin in the wrist. She freaks out, and then all of a sudden she turns around, and everybody's just like, "Hey, what was that?" She's like, "Oh." Uh, nothing, I guess. Well, but she's bit. not the last person to be poisoned, which means even if the poison, the hallucinogen kicked in right there and then, there should have been a couple of people really freaking out about the fact that Lance Henriksen just stabbed her. Yeah. Well, okay. Everybody else except for Jake had been poisoned. I don't remember yeah. if Jake was there. So if Jake wasn't there, then in theory, everybody else was catatonic. But here's the thing. If she wasn't drugged yet and everybody else was still there, everybody else was still there. Like, you, you can explain away, without thinking hard about it, anything that should have gotten more of a reaction in the film that didn't by the fact that the person seeing it is just already drugged out and potentially already in a grave with an air hole and a cell phone next to them hearing this stuff. But she wasn't drugged, so everything that was happening that we can see happening around her had to actually be happening. And yeah, so they're all so drugged that they don't react to her actually literally being stabbed, but also so lucid that she doesn't notice anything wrong with them. Yeah, it doesn't fucking, it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Like, like this film would actually be better as a coherent story if there was a reveal late in the film that the first thing Lance Henriksen did when they got on the property was spray them all in the face with poison perfume. And then everything after that was a collective hallucination. Okay, that would work. But yeah, like, Everywhere in this film where we get things like this, it doesn't – oh, God, it's so dissatisfying. It's just it, – And, yeah, man, 
Um, okay, so, oh yeah, and then Jake has a conversation uh, with Lance. Oh no, he, so he shows up in, uh, he, he goes to some random room at the party that's empty. Um, I think it's like supposed to be Lance Henriksen's office. Um, and then he finds a picture of himself and Jake. I mean, himself and Adam. And Lance Henriksen just appears in one of the chairs. And that keeps happening throughout the movie. People just keep appearing places. But at no point is implied that something supernatural is happening. So, you know, he must have just been sitting there and I guess Jake didn't notice him. Yeah, it's like you but, can't tell um, if it's supposed to be like freaky or just like a reveal yeah. shot. It's like, oh, yeah, didn't yeah. see there. You know, it's like, and so uh, he hands. Um, and this is significantly Jake, later in the film here when Jake has it. So yeah. like a lot has happened before he yeah. has a chance to start hallucinating here. Yeah. Um, so he hands Jake uh, one of the boxes and and it stabs him in the finger. Like the the first he pokes the first thing and like spikes immediately shoot out. Stabs him in the finger and then the box falls and cracks open, um, which was actually pretty cool. Um, but yeah, so that and that, that's how he gets it, just by getting stabbed in the finger, and then by a fake it box. Was a, yeah, by a fake box. And it was a pretty violent stab, and then they, you know, it'd be like the sort of like shit. I should go to the hospital and get a tetanus shot or something because it went like right through his thumb. Yeah, and it was several pins no, through never, his thumb. But yeah. yeah, and then you know, like twenty minutes later, he's off screwing a ghost nun. Yeah, it's, it's totally fine. Um, yeah, and then so. I think so that's the weirdest thing. A- Another thing with the ghost nun. Again, I think it was, this was supposed to be like a notion of the 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 fallen convent, but like there's no there, there's no transition from nun to sexy time. Like it's not like she you know sexually takes off her habit or anything. Yeah, the, the, there was no seduction. Nobody yeah, seduced he, anybody. He sees her as a nun looking down from uh, like a couple floors up, and she sort of gives him a meaningful look, and then wanders off. And he's like, "Oh, that's the most beautiful nun I've ever seen." You know, is the implica- implied thought, and he finds her, and he goes up to where he guesses she is, like several floors up, and he goes in there, and then he's looking around in an empty room, and he sees naked lady in the mirror, and he turns around, and she's not there. But then it turns out she is there a, a few seconds later. So we don't get any sort of like disrobing nun thing. We don't get any sort of attempt to like convey the direct sense of the corruption of this, you know, holy virginal chaste lady. It's just like nun and also time for some sex. It's just boom. There's no. Yeah, she could very well have been a nun cosplayer at the, yeah. at the party who's just, you know, like really into her character because he was supposed to meet like an internet girl at the party, right? Right, right. Yeah, so, which yeah. is set up as the reason he's there because he doesn't want to go to the party originally. You know, he's he not into it because, yeah, he's yeah. he's angry at the other four. They're, he's estranged from them. He's not going, he, why would he go to the party? But then he shows up because he met some girl on the internet. And this is left dangling with, like, they don't even touch on this. We don't get a sense of him being actively on the lookout for this specific girl. I mean, we see him sort of looking around sometimes, but it's not really sold well. With a nun thing, it's never sold like he's thinking, oh my gosh, maybe that's her. You know, it's just, that's left hanging as a thing that he showed up because he met some girl on the internet and he was going to meet her here for the first time. And then at the end of the film, it's established that Lance Henriksen was his fake internet girlfriend. And that's how Lance lured him in. Uh, but there's, there's nothing in between. There's no, there's no drama. There's no arc there. It's just like, Oh yeah, I'm here to meet my internet girlfriend. Nothing, nothing, nothing. I was your internet girlfriend. Ha <laughs> ha. And, uh, it's like, all right, you want to make out? Yeah. Um, well, I, I want to return to something real quick that uh, I mentioned earlier, the, the age thing. So you, mm-hmm. you noted that Adam was supposed to be like 16 when he died. Um, 
which suggests that they're all about the same age. And this is a yeah. thing that like none of these actors, none of these actors were in their teens, uh, oh. as far as I can tell. Or if any of them were, they were one of the freakish, like older than they yeah. you know, look older Kathy- than they are, which is usually kind of the other way around. Um, yeah, they were all, let's see, 1977, 1979. I'm just looking up the ages of the teenagers, 1972. Um, yeah, they were all in like their late 20s, early 30s. Henry yeah. Cavill is, was born in 1983. He was, he was 21. Okay. That was so, Mike. Yeah. And he could, he, yeah, he, and that's funny because he actually does, I mean, he looks younger than he looks in Superman Return or uh, yeah. Man of Steel, certainly, but, uh, yeah. but, but he I, actually kind of looks young-ish compared to his age. Him uh, and Lance Henriksen were the only redeeming things about this movie because his character was actually kind of fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, he was a terrible douche, but he was pretty good yeah. at being a terrible douche. You know, not, not super well-written, unfortunately, but uh, yeah. anyway, so here's the thing. I couldn't tell because I didn't, I didn't notice a thing about Adam's age, and that may have been the only reference in the entire thing. Uh, the, the it was. Dis- the discussion of carding them doesn't come up either way at the party with all the booze uh, or the notion of, uh, you know, free roaming sex. And the thing is, you can do, uh, you could totally do a story where, you know, teenagers are having sex and drinking and it's either a big deal because it's transgressive or it's not a big deal because, hey, teenagers are going to do what teenagers are going to do. You know, you can take either approach, but usually you at least go there if it's a story about teenagers, you know, drinking and having sex. Uh, the film does nothing to touch on it, and it's such a problem where everybody this sort of steps outside the film. We're so used as as viewers, we're so used to the experience of watching people who are obviously older than the characters they're supposed to be playing younger characters that we can't actually take a cue as to the age of the character from how old they read. So, like, I literally I got done with the film and I didn't know if they were supposed to be teenagers or if they were supposed to be like you know early twenty somethings. Uh, you know, I I think it was safe to assume that they weren't like you know supposed to be mid twenties because they probably would have been a little bit more moving on with their life somewhat. Yeah, but uh, I mean, but it looks like Chelsea has her own place. Um, and yeah, I mean that that was the it was it it seemed like Chelsea had like an apartment because it it, it looked too small and compact to be like her living with her parents. But that was like the that and um. Uh, Allison and Derek were in the same house, but it was just a big room. You couldn't really tell if that was their place or maybe somebody's parents' place or a dorm room or something. Yeah, there's no indication at all. And it's so uh, – it was a weird thing about yeah. it because it made it just a little bit harder to even get a sense of what we were supposed to fucking think these yep. people were doing uh, in terms of – yeah, yeah. Yep. Anyway, I just wanted to note that. I also want to note uh, – because we talked about the dad thing and, and how it doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense – that you know, the big twist is that oh my gosh, Lance Henriksen was actually Adam's dad. Uh, they did plant a little seed in the opening scene in the funeral, uh, where they're sitting around uh, discussing, you know, how you know Adam, you know, it was just a game, and hey, we we're all addicted, and blah 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 blah. But they're also talking about it's like where where are his parents, and like his mom was dead, I think they said, and then his dad, or, or maybe his mom was in an institution, I can't remember which. Anyway, she wasn't at the funeral. And, mm-hmm. and and they bring up the dad in the notion that you know he was he's traveling or something he's off somewhere and one of South like, Africa you know, or South America I can never remember yeah it's like I don't think he even had a dad you know I think that was just yeah. all made up so they set up the idea that his dad's an absentee dad 
and and then they just let that hang and then they can yeah. i feel like it it there's a lot of examples here of things and again i don't know how much of this was just tortured into working less well than it might have otherwise by the transition from the original spec script to this but there's a lot of things that feel like sort of screen writing 101 where someone it's literally at a 101 level like oh hey you mentioned it earlier and then you bring it back later but they there's like no finesse there's no aplomb about it it's all just clumsily there there's also so many non sequitur lines where so and I mean I guess that's tradition in the Hellraiser <laughs> franchise. It's the script of the paper hats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um oh god, did I actually not manage to write all of any of these down? <laughs> um fom Just take our um, word for it. It's terrible. <laughs> no, really take our word for it. It's ter- <sighs> um yeah. Should we go through how the kids died? Oh, uh yeah, I had a couple of notes I wanted yeah, like I, I I commend this movie because um, Derek is black and they did not kill the black guy first. I actually have to commend the movie on this. They, in fact, killed the most annoying character first. And I have to commend them for that as well. That that was was thoughtful of them. I appreciate them doing that. But they do have the thing where basically everybody in the movie is white and the one black guy sees the one like black woman at the party and they hook up. They, They did do that. Um, but I mean, I guess it's hard to get black extras in Romania. Did, I think we went through this in the previous one as well. Yep. Um, like almost, almost all of the, uh, minor like cameo parents or extras. Uh, this was the only thing they were ever in. And they were clearly just yeah. found someone in Bucharest who was willing to work for a day. Oh yeah. Like the Hey baby guy where, um, it was like, this <laughs> I guy love that like, guy. That guy was Chelsea my favorite guy in the movie. That guy was the best guy. Yeah, it's just like this tall, creepy guy with a goatee who sort of just like comes up to Chelsea and he's just like, hey, baby, want to party? And like a really thick Romanian accent. And then she uh, does like a kung fu grip on him with like all the like associated whooshing motions, uh, sounds rather. Yeah, it's like she, a like, fucking... Like, like an arm lock or something. Yeah, it's like a, like a Krav Maga reversal where she just grabs him and, and basically threatens to break his hand all in one swift motion, which was the establishing that Chelsea can take care of herself scene, I guess, because they bring that back around later with a roundhouse kick. Yeah, and those she, are the only she, two references we get. We get no other indication that she knows self-defense. We get no coherent sense of where or why or she just – at two points in the film, and I think this first one with the Hey Baby guy was to set it up for the second one, which was also totally fucking unnecessary. Uh, I wonder if they even told that guy it was a movie set or if they just invited him like, to a party. Hey, you see that girl there? Hey, check it out. Yeah, we're making a documentary. Maybe you can hook up with her. And I love – my favorite part about that character is like we get that stupid like Hey Baby, oh, my hand scene. But then she – and then she fucks off. And and then then he's like immediately, hey, hey baby, you wanna? Oh no, hey, hey baby. So like he's just he's just hey babying up. He's running the numbers. He's like you know if I say it a hundred times, somebody's gonna say yeah. But you've got a phone, just start dialing numbers. Yeah, I guess nobody you know? told him about the phone thing yeah. because not very many people are wearing those masks, which makes sense because they're hideous and horrifying. Like there's <laughs> these plain white paper. It's like literally like if it was like an old lady mask, it would be like slightly more alluring than the, than that. And the one time that like the mask thing is actually used is um mike uh hits on chelsea it it, it doesn't it, do, it doesn't work and she's just like i expect an apology tomorrow um and then he sees this girl dancing um and he he's like staring at her and she picks up her mask and winks at him and you can see that you know she's an attractive lady and then he uh he he calls her 
Um, and then he just sort of appears behind her, but the mask is back there. He's like, you want to dance? She does this, like, really exaggerated no. And he's like, want to party? And she does, like, a really exaggerated yes. She's like, what? No, at that point, the mask has done its job. <laughs> Take it off. Yep. And then the, the follow-up scene to that is that she's blowing him in a chair, but she's got her mask up on her head that it the it, like the mask is making eye contact with him as she's giving him this like really fake Cinemax quality blowjob. Yeah, this is this is the least sexy blowjob in yeah. in film history. And uh and yeah, and so that that was terrifying. Then he during the blowjob, he like uh Chelsea calls him and he picks up the phone and he has like a completely normal conversation as if he's not getting blown. Like it's not one of those things where like, you know, this has happened in other movies, but like, you know, the character is like, Oh, uh, yeah, no, I'm just having really bad stomach cramps. Ooh, he's like, No, he just has a normal conversation. And then he hangs up and then he has a hallucination. Oh no! The ma- the mask uh, roars at him like they they. This is like the extent of the CGI in this movie was that the mask like comes to life and roars yeah, at him. He's like yeah. ah, and yeah. then he sort of flashes to himself inside of the uh, inside of the grave, and then he flashes back, and the woman looks up, and she's just like something wrong, and that like. Um, this was actually a really good scene. Like he's just got this like really unsure expression on his face, and then he's confused, and then he was just like no, and I, I thought that was actually pretty funny. Um, yeah, and but yeah, that was those masks. That was like the big payoff with the mask. Yeah, which basically. is like dumb. Cause, and you know, let's talk about the mask and the cell phone thing. Because there's a bunch of masks up on the wall, and they've each got a four-digit number that you can call with a mm-hmm. cell phone. And then there's a bunch of cell phones down below. But the thing is, each cell phone goes with a mask, but the cell phones and the masks are not arranged in any sort of coherent, this one goes with that one <laughs> order. So you're actually going to pick up a mask, pick up a cell phone, and then start calling people and getting someone else, because who knows who picked up that fucking cell phone? Probably half the time the cell phone that's ringing is just still sitting on the shelf there. It, uh, it, it, it doesn't make sense. Doesn't and also, make it, it implies sense. that like Lance Henriksen had the you know, institutional pull to get a bunch of like four digit, you know, cell phone numbers registered to work with only those other cell. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it, like it's if it was one of the many things talkies just, or something that were set to a particular frequency, it's like, Oh, you know, just set it to the frequency that you see on the helmet or something like that. It would have made sense. But with cell phones, no, yep. it, it, yeah. Yeah. And the cell phones oh. are used several times in a way that they need to behave like cell phones with caller ID so that you can see someone's calling uh, for various, not very, good scenes but you know at least that's a mechanic so they have to be cell phones but at the same time yeah it doesn't fucking make sense okay i want to also want to notice uh uh nuns in this film we've got the mother superior but we've also got early on in the opening there's like they're setting up the funeral scene there's a lot of catholic imagery there's birds flying around several times in the film once again we've got birds Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, and there's a pair of nuns walking along, and I want to say it's the same nuns as from Hellraiser Three, the ones who bump into uh, uh. Jadzia Dax, into Joey. Um, uh. I bet it's them. I bet they're sure. they're at the center of it all. The twin, the twin Cenobites from uh, Six with the detective, yeah. or, or no, that's Five with the detective. Uh, I bet it's them too. Every time it's like the twin hipster cops in Marvel comics. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's those nuns. They get around. Uh, also when Chelsea in that opening sequence in the, the funeral she goes and cracks open the casket it's clearly mm-hmm. a closed casket, <laughs> casket funeral she walks right up and she's opening it up and, and, and there's a disclaimer on this that uh, you know, I'll get to in a second but still 
if it's a closed casket ceremony, we should we should ask Cold Chef about this. Get get his take ah, on it because yeah. I would think if you're doing closed casket, wouldn't you lock the casket? Wouldn't you just make sure it stays closed because it's closed for a reason? So watering up and just opening the thing up seems like maybe not okay funeral etiquette and maybe something you would actually not be able to do. I don't know. We should ask him. I just tweeted at him. Excellent. But uh, but but anyway, it doesn't matter because apparently this was a dream. Was And this is a note I wanted to make. The opening scene of the film, not that this is unprecedented for horror films, but still, it's an opening scene that doesn't feel very dreamlike. And it's actually just that they have a really banal group conversation in here, and they set up the establishing dis- disengagement of Jake from the other four kids. And we set up, you know, that there's a absentee dad and that Adam killed himself and it's not their fault and it was just a game. And then she goes and checks out the casket and she opens it up and then, yeah, she gets grabbed by Corpse Jake. And then she wakes up with a start two years later and, oh, it was just a dream. And it's like, we need a system. Did you ever read the time to crate system on Old Man Murray? Yes, yes. I did. Time to just a dream is a system we need for horror films to cover the same thing. Like, how soon do you get to the point where you invalidate something that was part of the story you're telling by saying it didn't actually happen because this obviously was not uh obviously was a dream she woke up from it obviously she didn't grab get grabbed by adam at his funeral but everything other than the opening the casket being grabbed sure feels like a really boring conversation that she may have actually had with her friends and so it's like it's it's having it's caking it it's it's like a dream sequence it doesn't feel like a dream sequence until the impossible thing that she wakes up because it was just a uh, yeah uh, yeah Oh, and we didn't discuss we didn't discuss the fact that uh when she first answers her door uh oh, yeah. after she wakes up, uh there's the chatterer. Oh my god, at her door it's the chatterer, except for it's mm. not, and she immediately twigs with this, and this is where we immediately get the genre savviness for the first time. Yeah. She's like, uh Mike, you know, and it's it's Mike and he pulls it off, it's just a latex chatter mask, and that's where she says, Yeah, like centibytes don't exist. And even if they did, I never opened the long configuration, uh, which as we know isn't really real anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and then she says she says Le Mans. This was where I made the note about uh them not arguing about uh details. Because maybe it is Le Mans, but uh I don't think anybody said Le Mans earlier yes. and it's, it's like just it's, having a conversation. It's like, oh yeah, it's it's like that time Captain Picard did all that stuff, yeah. and then nobody says anything. Yeah, I mean, I think of it as the lament configuration. I feel like we've heard the lament configuration. She says Lama, and I would be so, I would have been so excited if. Is that how you pronounce it in French? It, it might. I mean, it, it seems plausible. I don't uh, really know my French, so I just pick it up here and there. So maybe it is how you say it in French. But I feel like the only time we've ever heard it is lament elsewhere mm-hmm. in the films if we've heard it i can't remember if we have but i, I feel like it would have been so great if like they had immediately got an argument where she's like yeah the lamont configures i think you mean lament shells i think i mean lamont it's french he was french you know that would have been that would have sold me i would have sold me so hard there but uh but no uh just checking a couple you of my you don't other get notes that satisfaction me. They are shitty super fans. There's also this weird, like, like when they've all just got their invites and they're going to the thing and they're taking off to drive to the party. And Chelsea has said she's not coming because she's totally over it and whatever. Uh, and then she ends up showing up after all and deciding to go after all. And we're, we get this scene where the other four of them are, or the other three of them, 
uh, are in like Mike's car or whatever. And Allison is like struggling with a seatbelt in some totally unclear way. It's just like she's struggling it for the sake of them all, all three of them, her and Mike and, and Derek all being able to struggle with it once such that they can all look back over their shoulders out the driver's side of the car to see Chelsea in her truck. And it's like the dumbest sort of like, oh, we need to have them be like, oh, my God, it's Chelsea. And so they set it up with the seatbelt thing that's never explained. It makes no sense. And I don't know. That was another thing that bothered me. That was, and you think she would have just called him and be like, "Hey, are you guys still going there? Because I need a ride. You know, just save some yeah. gas." No, she just takes her own giant ass car. And there was also a big um, smiley road trip montage there with a license plate yeah. thing that you mentioned. It was like yeah. up, upbeat guitar pop and vocal harmonies and smiling and a pretty sunset. And uh, Mike <laughs> yeah, carries Chelsea over his uh, shoulder into the into the the house. It's like the tonal the gorgeous featureless plains of rural Romania. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the tonal inconsistency of the film is a big yeah. problem. Like you can do a jarring tonal mismatch once or twice in a film to like affect, but you can't just wander all over the fucking place like that. It's, it doesn't work that way. It's, it's, and, um, Oh, so, um, so the movie is just generally a combination of like the haunted house genre and the teen slasher genre. But, um, when Allison's death scene, so she, uh, she wanders into, she uh yeah she sees this door that says do not enter and she's like yeah right and oh, then it says so keep she out walks, oh keep out yeah and she's just like yeah right so she walks in and there's just like a bunch of random shit covered in sheets like for you know to keep the dust off and she takes the sheet off one and there's a statue of like a, a like a nude man and then she like looks down and she makes fun of his nude man statue penis um and then she sees like this uh, it looks like basically like an electric chair just without the hat part. And she sits down on it, and then suddenly she gets locked in, and then Lance Henriksen appears. Um, and then, you know, the, uh, the this thing, like, descends in front of her. It's like these two saw blades um, that are supposed to, like, you know, that, like, at, that are at neck level. And he's just like, well, you know, it's, uh, this, uh, don't worry, this, the chair doesn't work unless you release the safety mechanism. And then he releases the safety mechanism. <gasps> and then, so, like, these two, like, small spinning blades, or, like, you know, those small saw blades, like, are spinning towards her neck. And it's it's... Like supposed to be like a torture porn, like saw a hostile kind of thing, but they I, I don't understand how that was supposed to kill her because it from the distance that they are to the neck, it looks like they would just have to like they slice into the neck but not into any anything important in the neck, and then I guess she was supposed to bleed out, but then she dies immediately yeah it's it's well it was, she was supposed to bleed out fast. I think the idea is the blades were supposed to be like aimed at like the carotid and the jugular. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a dumb look. It looks like it would work by cutting you real bad and you bleed, but not in any particularly elegant or impressive way. It's just like, gee whiz, if you stab someone a bunch in the neck, they'll probably die. So it's like, it was presented as some like very special thing, but it just like looked completely idiotic. And, and And you, you, you don't bleed somebody out in a chair. There's a reason that with animals, you hang them upside down and then you you make blood all over your goddamn chair. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, it's it's like someone was tasked with coming up with a clever torture device and they just were not up to the task. Like, yeah, it's like, this is the equivalent of like a kid's drawing, you know, in terms of the elegance of this machine. It's like, well, you got a chair and you got some manacles and there's some, uh, there's some saw blades. I don't know. It's, 
the yeah, because this is what kids Somebody's sound like. Somebody's like quickly looking around the garage trying to pull a Kaiser Soze. Yeah, uh, it was like a chair, yeah. uh, saw blades. <laughs> it's like they were playing Inventa Cenobite, except for you know torture <laughs> devices. Uh, yeah, so that was shitty. Um, and then um, Derek, I think Derek is the next death, and so he so he sees this uh, the black girl on the dance floor, and he starts dancing with her, and it's established during the funeral shot that Derek has asthma because he uses an inhaler, and so it's established also in such a dramatically like obvious way that part of me wasn't actually expecting it to come back just because of how obvious it was just because that's how shitty I thought the movie would be <laughs> but no they bring it back even worse because what happens is so he's dancing with this girl and he starts having an asthma attack he drops the um, he drops the asthma inhaler somebody kicks it he's trying to get it he's crawling on the dance floor it falls through a grate and this whole time he's having an asthma attack he goes down several flights he sees it behind like a different grate. He runs around to the other side of the grate, starts unscrewing it with a scalpel, and this whole time he's having like the worst mild asthma attack ever because he's able to do all of this like physically exertive stuff, but the whole time he's struggling because like he's about to die. You know, it's like it's like it's like how they treat like insulin in a uh, in a uh, Con Air. Did you ever see Con Air? It's one where I did not. Oh, it's it's amazing. It's Nick Cage, right? Yeah, Nick Cage yeah. as a guy who goes to jail for basically accidental manslaughter, and and he comes out hard, but he's finally getting released, and then he's on a flight that gets hijacked by a bunch of hardened, crazy felons, uh, and he's there with his his buddy. Uh, I think it was uh, ah shit, uh, uh, Forrest Whitaker. I think is his buddy uh, who was also getting discharged, maybe. Um, and who was diabetic and they get waylaid and he doesn't get his insulin. And so like the film, like, there's a big drama throughout the film of, of Forrest Whitaker more and more going to die because he's not getting his insulin, but on a really short sort of timetable where, I, I, yeah, it, it's like, it's treated like this arbitrarily. Oh my God, this is the most amazingly fatal thing in the world, but also it's okay, but you're on the clock, but we won't say what the clock is, but Oh my God. Yeah. It's like that same sort of like, trumping it up while at the same time totally not engaging with it in a meaningful way as an actual disease. It's just a MacGuffin that they need to drive the drama. And yeah, so his asthma attack that he goes running around the house to try and deal with doesn't really yeah. seem to make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and then he's back down in the dead baby room, and he like lays. He, you know, he's uh, he's using the inhaler, and then he lays down in his back. And I don't know a lot about asthma, but I can't imagine laying down on your back is conducive to breathing better. Um, and then. Pinhead just shows up and decapitates him with a surgery axe. I don't know what the hell that thing was. Yeah, it, it, it was, it was like a, a very, surgery cleaver. Yeah, it was. It was a very funny. It looked like almost like a Klingon, like you know, steak yeah. knife. You know, it was, a, it was ornate, weirdly shaped, and then and his angle was all wrong too. It looked like he was going to slice his head open down the middle, but instead he cleanly cuts his head. Off. It was a it was a hell of a shot by by a Pinhead. I'll say that. Yeah. Uh, but actually, what, when he finally gets inhaler and does the big old, we get a slow motion breathing in, catching his breathing. And it really reminded me of Winter in the previous film in Deader, ah. the cult leader with his sort of like orgasmic seeming uh, life breathing out and in thing. It was sort of like, felt like the same sort of uh, inexplicable feel. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah. And, and so his death, um, like decapitation by Pinhead. So. And it, that's not how he actually dies. What happens is he dies of fright inside his coffin because, you know, uh, you know they're, they're hallucinating. But the thing is that what they're hallucinating is what Lance Henriksen is telling them is happening. And Lance Henriksen is supposed to be like a Hellraiser superfan. And decapitating someone with an axe is really not like Pinhead's, 
you know, death wheelhouse. Yeah, it's it's not really. It's, it doesn't make that's any sense. That's not how he kills people. Yeah, it's you know that that's like that's a, maybe like that's like a Jason Voorhees sort of thing. But you know, Pinhead would be like elaborate and chains and stuff. He doesn't just chop people's heads off. Yeah, Pinhead doesn't really pinhead anybody in this. And to be fair, it's yeah. not really Pinhead because it's just Lance doing this. Maybe, yeah. maybe, maybe the part of the subtext is Lance is supposed to be sort of a figure of a poser. Maybe that's maybe that's the actual uh, thesis of the film is that Lance Henriksen represents uh, Lance Henriksen is the ultimate fake geek girl. Oh. <laughs> Except for he's the fake geek older dad. You know, they're 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 playing on the idea of accusations of poserdom within a fandom is what they're trying to you know, say. Fake and, geek dad is so much more of like an actually occurring stereotype than fake geek girl that I think we should do something with that. Yeah, we should we should cogitate on that. Try and make something out of it. But uh, one of my favorite little details, by the way, of of like inexplicable details in the film where they knew they were making a horror movie but weren't sure what they were doing. It felt like is that when Derek's head gets cut off, we get a slow motion shot of his head falling down into a bowl that was neatly placed underneath that was apparently already full of blood because it falls down <laughs> and then the blood comes splashing up out of the bowl. It's like what you ah. Mm. And like I'm, if we assume that everything that they see is just because they're prone to suggestion, then Lance Henriksen is sitting here, and then Pinhead, he, you lay, you look up and you see Pinhead, and he's swinging a cleaver down, and your head comes off, and it falls into a bowl full of blood, and blood splashes, and you know, it's like I just maybe he's maybe he's a DM, maybe this is like a Hellraiser pen and paper campaign sort of thing, and like if I was a player, I was like, wait, but why was why Why was there blood in the bowl under my head? You know, I, I had a lot of follow-up questions if this was a story someone was maybe, telling me. Maybe he's always away because he's always on location because he is the world's foremost heavy metal music video director. Uh-huh, that could be. Or maybe and he, that's how he got all the money for this, and that's where his aesthetic sensibilities come from. And that's why all of these deaths make would make sense in a four-minute long video, but not in an hour and a half long one. Right, yeah. That's it. Exactly. This is actually a story about the difficulty of transitioning from directing music videos to feature films. This is this is basically a cautionary tale of what could have been if David Hinch Fincher hadn't pulled it off. <laughs> oh, um, the location of the Leviathan House is 86 Hillbound Drive. This was the best. <laughs> uh, that was the best they could do. Uh, and and no 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 city state country. Uh, I, I didn't actually notice. I'll get okay. a screenshot for okay. the blog okay. entry. Yeah, well, I feel like instead of having writers like to do punch up on this, they just went through like the garbage cans of other like writers and then just pulled out anything that was remotely funny but still rejected, and then I, I, I guess just only took the completely not funny stuff out of that. <laughs> oh, there was there was a brief cinematography gimmick. Uh, the only real gimmicky thing I noticed. Uh, in the film was when they're all taking the tour from Lance Henriksen and they're down in the basement. Uh, when they first walk in the room full of the jars, full of babies and small animals and faces and so on, they do this sort of like normal speed, quick, fast forward, normal speed, quick, fast forward to sort of like jump cut forward in the scene, but not actually use like jump cuts. Uh, and I think they just do it in that scene and that scene. No, only. They do it. They do it in the opening scene. Inexplicably while panning into a, sh- uh, a statue of Jesus. Oh, okay. I, I, I didn't notice no, it then. Like, for no reason. I guess it must have been like a test shot. It's like, oh, hey, let's try out this thing that we got to do later. Yep. Uh, shit. Uh, whoops, it made it into the final footage. Yeah. Eh, whatever. 
Um, also, I want to note that the needle that Lance Henriksen stabs Chelsea with is clearly a pinhead needle, and I think that's maybe the first time we see pinhead uh, in the film. And, and every time we see pinhead in the film... I think the first time we the, see pinhead is on Derek's t-shirt. Well, I, I mean, pinhead, pinhead. Like, 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 like actual, oh, like, like, as a character in the film, I think it's after Chelsea gets stabbed by Lance Henriksen when that impossibly couldn't have happened yet. And so we see her stabbed and then we, there, there's the blood and the screaming and suddenly Pinhead himself is there and, and where implied by the way it's shot where Lance had been. And he's all Adam was right. And, and then the screaming, the coffin imagery and, and, and then she wakes up. Uh, but yeah, it was clearly a pinhead pin as far as I can tell. Yeah. Um, you know, it's the, 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 the thing that we're talking about, like real world, not real world, I, I was just reminded of something completely different. There was, um, there's a uh, comic guy, uh, Arsa Koryak, and he did uh, this thing called Dostoevsky Comics, which is just um, – it, it, uh, it was for like a big compilation of like, like a crossover between superhero comics and like classic literature. And it was just um, crime and punishment except with Batman and the Joker as like the characters. And, <laughs> but it was done totally straight. And so my mom found this, like, you know, like her, like one of her Russian friends, like sent her and she's like reading this and she like turns to me, she asked me, he's like, is this real? And I'm just like, the question just blew my mind. I'm like, well, it's, you're reading it, 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 it exists. Somebody <laughs> wrote it. It's not an actual Batman story, but I'm not quite sure what you're asking me. <laughs> we're going to have to, we're going to have uh, to narrow down the uh, ontological uh, <laughs> question here a bit. Let's find out what our scope is. Uh, a, a note from the film, this was 2003, 2004. Uh, there's some can you hear me now jokes with the cell phones when they're first oh, doing the cell phones. That didn't age well. That, uh, that jumped out at me as really, really? You put that in the script? Yeah, that, that was and, – and I mean he, he doesn't even move. He, he moves like two feet over, can you hear me now? And like a foot over, can you hear me now? And then well, he takes off his mask and laughs. To be fair, he's obviously making a joke about the commercials that will obviously stay relevant, not actually trying to test his phone. Uh, <laughs> which it makes kind of – yeah, it's not even like – it's not even supposed to be like, oh, ho, that thing that's happening in the film is like the thing. It's clearly – this character in this film is clearly making a joke about this contemporary – telephone commercial uh, also derek at one point uh, around the same time he he orders some drinks and what he does is he walks up to the bartender and says two shots over here and like you know two with the fingers and doesn't say <laughs> what and this i feel like this happens sometimes in movies but unless it there's happens a, again with um with, when with the uh, like the jake uh nobody's paying attention to him scene where he comes up to the bartender and says one drink please yeah it's like, like unless like there is a sign like maybe there was a sign saying hey the the official booze of the night is tequila you know <laughs> never mind all these bottles they're just different colors of tequila or something <laughs> yeah it's just like or maybe that's just how crazy hell racers are that they don't even you know every shot is a surprise shot you don't you don't say what you want there's a bar in town that has a mystery bottle that like a shot is like a dollar or something or it's like a dollar less than a normal well shot uh, but the thing is yeah you you don't get to know what it is you just, they just pour it and you drink it and i it, it's not a bad gimmick for a weird thing at a local bar but yeah i don't really accept that that's the way the world in general is suddenly going to work also did we just always gold schlager <laughs> <laughs> Always, every it's either Goldschlager or Sambuca, or or, or or Jaeger, or Jaeger. Yeah, but uh, but in an off-brand Jaeger machine because they can't handle the trademark. Jaeger, uh, Mister. 
Did we mention when we were talking about Space Voyager that the official apparent canonical name of the fandom within the movie is, is they call themselves Hellraisers? Yeah, welcome Hellraisers. Yeah, which I actually kind of like. If, if there weren't so many other problems with the way the film deals with the <laughs> idea of the franchise within the film, uh, I would almost be pleased because of the fact that so many people in the actual our real world who don't know much about Hellraiser think Pinhead's name is Hellraiser. And it's like, is, as far as that goes, that would be a cute nod if I believed that there was any – Sense of intentionality about the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and at one point, uh, Allison, uh, like, is getting spooked, but she's like, oh, this is scary. But then she points, we get a close shot of her pointing to where her nipples are, although she's wearing oh. a black t shirt, so you can't even, like, verify whether or not this was happening <laughs> on camera. But she's like, you know, uh, but guess whose nipples are hot? And she's like, the. No, she, she says, guess who's, like, my, my, what do you call it, sir, hard? Or she uses, like, some sort of, she doesn't say nipples. She doesn't oh, say Oh, you're right, you're right. She just points it. She says, you know what's getting hot? Uh, she's like she's like Australian or something. I couldn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's New Zealand or Australia. Yeah. It was one of those hard to. She, I mean, she clearly was trying to do her best American accent, but did, did, it, it I didn't was. think she was. But maybe that's why I was a little bit confused. Maybe she did try in a couple scenes, but I just wrote it off as this is the bad movie and didn't care. Like I, there I was a uh, totally offhand like Die Hard reference. Where, you know, like horrible things are happening. And I think it's Chelsea who just like, you know, somebody walks away from her and she just says to herself, come to a party, we'll have fun. And then just walks away. And that was, that was a little cute. Um, I, I, I don't get the reference. I don't. When, uh, just in Die Hard, when uh, John McClane is like crawling around in the uh, exhaust fence, he's like, well, come to LA. We'll have some fun. Oh, uh, oh God. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense then. Because, yeah, it was Chelsea. And that was okay. That was a big. To- this is late in the film, actually. Yeah. Although not as late as I would have expected, as as I discovered every time I looked at the time left. Um, she's and she's. This is shortly after she's been. Oh God, I'm trying to. It's like the the terrible tonal, fucking roller coaster ride that is this film. And this this reminded me a lot because she's yeah she's like come to the party it'll be fun and yeah this is right after and then right before two separate like super serious oh my god things are terrible existential sort of terror things and then she's just sort of like yeah whatever uh when she was just shattered like two minutes earlier you know and and we're not shown her rallying she's just totally all over the fucking map but in a blase way that doesn't even match with the idea of like emotional mania or anything uh, and it really reminded me of that scene in the church late in Hellraiser 3 where uh, J- Joey Dax uh, is talking to the, the, the priest. She busts into the church and the priest is all like, uh, what's the matter, my child? She's like, there's a thing after there's demons. And she's really freaking out because she's being chased across the city by Hellraiser and his Cenobite friends, his pseudo-Cenobite friends. By Hellraiser? You did by, it this by time. Hell- did I? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Anyway... <laughs> Uh, see, it would it would have been good if they'd shown like a sense of it, but uh, um, so she goes in the church and 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 she's like, oh, I'm being chased by demons, and he's like, child, demons aren't real, and she's really really upset and freaking out, and he's like, demons are just a metaphor, and then Hellraiser comes in with a big entrance, and then suddenly she's all cool and sashy, and she points and turns at Pin and says, then what the hell is that, you know, and. It, that, that was such a weird, like, this is terrible. You're, you, you just completely undermined your character's emotional arc here by having her completely drop it. And it was the same thing with fucking Chelsea there. Because, yeah, she'd been, like, on the phone with Jake, like, two minutes early and be like, it's this house. We're, 
we're trapped. We're going to die. It, it's like it's playing with us. And she sounds like she's, she sounds like she's given up. And then Tuna's like, come to a party. You'll be fun. Being all sarcastic and shit. And this, yeah. I think that was right after or right before she had an argument on the phone with uh, Lance Henriksen, too, where she does yet again the whole, uh, yeah, well, I, I guess you're supposed to be pinhead. Is that just like, well, if that's what you want to think. Yeah, except for the, you know, uh, you didn't open the box and, and, and you open the box and pinhead shows up and the hooks come out and none of that happened. You know why? Because none of this is real because it's all bullshit. Uh, which again, like this is a second after being despairing and broken in the brain. So there was um oh man, I don't remember why this reminded me of, but there was like the the fake out Chelsea death scene where you see Jake and he's just like standing in an empty room and then he looks like there's a reflection in like whatever that he's like he's looking at like the through the glass of like a bureau or something or a uh, ward or uh, like a bookcase and he sees the chatter cenobite and he's holding like he's holding a letter opener or something and he's found he for no apparent reason other than to have it for this scene yeah exactly and he turns around he violently stabs it but gasp it's chelsea and he stabbed her in like near the shoulder and he's just like oh god i'm sorry and then she like she she dies in his arms um yeah. tonight because it, it must have been something he said, but um, but he he's he stabs her in the shoulder and she promptly dies. I, I and it's I, supposed I, I, to be a hallucination, but it's like, dude, you have enough time to at the very least like patch that thing up somehow. Yeah, it was kind of probably. I, I just want to establish that I was just respecting you telling the story. As the only reason I didn't interrupt, I actually did enjoy your "I just died in your heart tonight" <laughs> reference there. Want to acknowledge that? Want to validate your your your, your creative choice there? I just didn't want to interrupt. Uh, yeah, no, that, yeah, it's God. I shouldn't say so many times talking about a film, but yeah, he totally stabs her to death in the shoulder. Like, Once again, I, I'm pretty sure like the, the that part of this movie was written by Doctor Zoidberg. It's like the shoulder where the blood is carried. <laughs> Get him right here in the gonads. Nobody correct him. Um, yeah. Did I did I mention already my theory that maybe. Uh, oh, 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 no, we talked about how Lance, like Lance Henriksen and Adam are supposed to be Lance and Adam Henriksen. But did I mm-hmm. mention my theory that, in fact, maybe it's supposed to be Lan- like, like Dad and Adam Le Marchand or, or Merchant, maybe? Uh, I guess this, this is what... You think it, you would have mentioned that or somebody would have mentioned yeah, well, that. Well, you, you would think a lot of things, though, in this film. Uh, you know what happened? This is, this is when Jake gets stabbed in the thumb by the fake box. Uh-huh. And it's when Lance was holding out and saying that Adam made it. And I was thinking, what if Adam made it because he's got the heritage? But uh, but then that didn't really pan out, so I guess probably not. But that's a that's another angle that we could pretend about that's more interesting than anything that actually happened in the film. Also, like, like Jake finds a picture of himself and Adam on the computer, whatever, and, and then he sees the computer just types, it's just a game, in real close-up. And then he repeats it out loud to himself. But they did a real close, close shot of the computer typing it out, and he's obviously looking. We know that he could read that. We weren't confused about what it said. It was very legible. Why would he fucking repeat it himself? Like it was just an extra five seconds in a film that has a lot of extra five seconds that it didn't need in service of the already not very yeah, there good was, story um, was telling. The scene right before Mike dies when he's getting blown by that girl and then they go down into the creepy basement to make out some more and you know they're sort of like throwing each other around the oh, hallway. She's throwing him around. Um, she's doing oh, yeah, all yeah, the she's actually, She really yeah, likes she's, shoving him against walls. 
Yeah, and so, you know, there's a scene where they're going down a hallway and she's like, shove them against walls, make it out, shove them against walls. And then it happens again with a different series of hallways. And then they get to the room where he dies. Yeah. So, yeah, there was, there was, and I think he must have taken off his jacket like three times. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, so wait, how does he die? She pushes him into the, the room with the dead babies. Oh, yeah, and then he comes across Derek's corpse and he's like, oh, haha, latex. And, you know, is that like immediately what you think of? It's like, oh, haha, they used a dummy, or haha, it's a prop. It's like, haha, latex? Well, I mean, I don't know. Latex, latex, uh, cosmetic stuff in movie effects, yeah. I guess you'd probably uh, be yeah. good for creating a skin like effect. I don't know. It did seem, he, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so the, then he realizes that it's Derek, and he knows the head is the head is torn off, and then like the body is eviscerated, or I mean, um, not eviscerated. It's uh, what do you call it when they take the organs out? Uh, uh, vivisected. Uh, oh, actually, no, it is. I was thinking of no, vivisected is the one where you do it live. Eviscerate. Okay, yeah, his yes. So his organs are are hanging out, and then he freaks out, and then he's impaled on like a hook that he was playing with earlier. Oh yeah, there's a giant there's a giant hook that they use to move around. Uh, cuts of meat like, including maybe use, humans yeah did they use the oh yeah the line was like did they use it to move around like humans and lance Henriks is like no just dead bodies i'm like it's supposed to be creepy but it just comes off as unnecessarily pedantic yeah and i also want to note i think this was the only hook on a chain in the entire film now this is the hellraiser series and i'm I, i'm not going to fundamentally defend just needlessly going back to the same visual tropes but it's a movie, this is the self-aware one that's aware of, and, and Chelsea even at one point later in the film mentions the idea of chains on hooks, but this is the only hook on a chain we see in the entire film, and it's a, it's a great big chain, yeah. a great big hook, and it doesn't behave like a Hellraiser chain and, and hook. So it's like, uh, it just felt like there's an echo there, but it was like an echo from someone who was accidentally saying a paraphrase of something from another film without realizing it. Not like an intentional nod. There was no sense of care. Part of me almost feels like Carl Dupre was accidentally cast as the bartender. And (laughs) (laughs) he thought he was, he thought, he thought he was doing an episode of uh, Vikings with uh, Chelsea. Uh, And, if there's like supposed to be such big fans, here's the thing. That that means one of three things. One is that Hellraiser three does not exist in this universe because they would have noticed that it's the same bartender as the guy who played the bartender Hellraiser three, or um, Carl Dupre's really down in his luck and used to be an actor and now has yeah, to uh, you know ten bar at random Hellraiser themed. Parties. Yeah, it's like the bit character showing up yeah. conventions to, uh, yeah. and not even the main bar. It's a bar in a back room somewhere. You know, that's another thing I want to talk about. This this house is full of like parties and music and whatnot. I think it's got the same amazing soundproofing technology as the shitty club in Hellraiser Three that had the four <laughs> different kinds of music going on, and then the nice restaurant with no bleed through, no bass thumping from nearby. So it's like the, clearly. Whatever else is true about the Hellraiser universe, both fictive and fictive within a film, they've got great soundproofing at parties. That's it's it's an impressive achievement. I'm 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 I think it's cool that they managed to figure out that kind of acoustical treatment. Uh, We're almost at two hours here. We want to maybe <laughs> oh, let's I, wrap this up yeah. because I mean we could go on for a lot longer. I'll look I'll look for <laughs> some more uh, minor things that I thought were. T- you know, terrible or hilarious or both. At one point, Mike makes a booty call call with a cell phone and he says, I'd love to see your puzzle box, yes, which I have to think. Yeah. How many bad pickups at Hellraiser cons start with that line? You know, it's like everybody's got to have heard it by now. 
and, and also the asthma, the, the asthma thing, uh, I wanted to say about that scene where he drops his inhaler and he's trying to find it, you know, in mid bump and grind. It was the opening of Temple of Doom, and I didn't even like it that much in Temple of Doom, but I liked it better in Temple of Doom. Uh, it's just uh, that, that that's a supercut waiting to happen too. People scrabbling around on the floor at a party yeah. trying to grab a thing, and then people kick it at the last minute. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, that that actually would be a pretty cool supercut. Oh, um, the scene where uh, Mike stumbles onto Derek's dead body, he picks up one of the legs just to you know he's like, oh, it's a dummy, and he picks up one of the legs, and the actor playing Derek clearly bends it at the knee to pick it up as Mike's <laughs> picking it up, <laughs> and it's it's like no, you see, if it was latex, it wouldn't really bend like that. But he's like, ha ha, it's just latex, and the leg comes back down. It was just so obviously. Um, there was just like an obvious amount of effort in there that, that, that was pretty funny. Oh, um, there's a scene where Chelsea's trying to escape and she manages to get outside and like into her car. And it is, I think the moon must be about 10 to 12 feet from where this party is happening place. Cause everything is lit up like it's daytime, but just kind of dark. Um, there was a, uh, there's actually an episode of uh, MST3K. I don't remember which one, but like this, the exact same thing happens in some other horror movie where there, it's you know, it's a nighttime shot, but clearly like there's a shitload of light everywhere. Yeah, it was. And I think yeah, it was, it was like, like the Man. worst sort of blue filtered uh, day as night shooting ever. Yeah. It's uh, like, oh, it's good thing. It's a good thing this haunted house was by the light bulb factory. <laughs> <laughs> I think. I think. I think the movie. That, I can't remember the name of the movie, but I think that was one of the movies they did, uh, starring uh, Joe Estevez. Uh, Martin Sheen's uh, possibly twin, possibly just very similar looking, but wildly less successful and talented brother. Because he really fucking looks like Martin Sheen, but he's not. Oh, um, weird death. So there's this entire scene that that happens with cops. Like Chelsea's up in the, uh, like in an upper floor and she calls the cops and the cops show up and it's, and the, the you know Lance Henriksen comes out and the cops start talking. It's like yeah, we got a call. It's probably a prank. It's like yeah, somebody. Call, it's like we get prank calls of somebody claiming to be like horrified and locked inside of a house all the time. So it's probably a prank. But do you mind if we take a look around? And he's like yeah, I would mind. I don't want some drugged up chick you know messing up my party reputation. Cops are like yeah, all right. Yeah, she sounded <laughs> pretty crazy. But the thing is, the cops showed up. Like there's four squad cars and like a dozen yeah. cops. So they showed up in force to be immediately skeptical that they even needed to be there, which doesn't make any fucking sense, of course. Maybe but, they were just uh, covering for the fact that like, you know, Frank forgot to take the warrant with him. Yeah. And they were just like, yeah, yeah, we'll just leave like, right oh, now. Yeah. No, we're the, back. We were in the neighborhood. We're yeah, competent. We're just, yeah. And then um, later, as Chelsea's, like, running out, she runs into another cop, and, like, the cop grabs her and shakes her. He's like, hey, hey, what's up? What's going on? And the line is really clearly ADR'd because his mouth does not move the entire time. Um, and then, you know, he gets on his walkie-talkie to call for backup, and all of a sudden he dies because a spike comes out from the inside of his mouth and out and pierces the walkie-talkie in his hand. Or it goes in the other way. I can't tell which it was because you don't see it happening. And then he just drops and then Pinhead's standing behind him, clearly, you know, taking credit for the kill. Yeah, it but seems it, like Pinhead fired like a foot long wooden stake through the back of his head, through his mouth, into his phone and hand. Which, yeah. you know, wooden stakes. That's uh, Pinhead's, again, with Pinhead killing people in ways that Pinhead would never kill anybody. I think Lance yeah, Henriksen and- wasn't actually that big of a Hellraiser fan is what it was. <laughs> That's all I can make sense of it. That entire collection he just amassed like yeah, in the he, two years after his son died. Yeah, that, he that, hired that was a an intern collection. to put it together. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. And there's this weird thing where that cop is like, yeah, it's not the first time we've had to come out here, too, suggesting there was some weird uh, situation with with dad. But at the same time, the other cop's blasé-ness suggests that he was like pretty much on dad's side. So maybe there was like some whole schism in the police department subplot here and cops on the take. But of course, none of that was ever touched. Maybe but, we can uh, uh, figure these cops into that uh, sitcom we're doing with the two moving guys. And uh-huh. hang on, who else did we cast in this? Oh. There was the two moving guys from the oh, end of the nuns. from uh, Hellraiser 1 and 2. The nuns. The nuns these cops and then there was somebody from the previous movie that was also like hilariously incompetent but i don't remember who it was although you know what actually reminded me of again i've been watching fringe and um there's one of the characters one of the characters on is supposed to be just like a regular like cop turned fbi agent who's you know used to handling like regular fbi cases and you know the fringe cases it's basically sort of like the x-files monster of the week thing but he's completely blasé through the whole thing so it's just like you know they're standing over the corpse of like this hideous like porcupine monster man and he's just like yeah you know the uh, couple of teenagers said that they found this boy i sure don't envy who has to do this autopsy i'll go get those dmv records for you and then just walks away <laughs> Um, so yeah, it's sort of the same breed of cops, except instead of being like cool and hard boiled, they're just hideously incompetent. I wanted to um, mention a, a line from the blowjob scene that I don't think we mentioned when we first oh, talked yeah. about it. Uh, so, so w- when Mike gets the call from Chelsea and she's all distressed and he's like, Oh, you want my help? Uh, and she's like, ah, da, da. And, and he's sitting there getting a blowjob and he's like, well, why'd you blow me off? And then he does this quick glance and smile <laughs> down at the blowjob he's getting. And like, that was honestly, I think that was his best, like comedic <laughs> beat in the entire film yeah. was like, <laughs> I said, blow and I'm going to blow. But, uh, yeah, especially because like it's, he doesn't immediately realize he makes the joke. It's only after he says it. And after he looks down that it sort of comes to him and that, yeah, that was actually <laughs> like, pretty oh, brilliant. I, I see what I did there. So <laughs> that's right. I'm getting blown. Yep. Again, adding to the fact that this must be like a really, really unfantastic blowjob. Also, um, when, when Jake's having like the the the, the afterglow uh, from sex with, I guess it was the nun that didn't turn out to be a monster or anything, even though maybe she was the nun, I don't know. Uh, he's sitting there and he sort of wakes up after it fades out from the softcore scene and he's laying in bed and we see, that's when we see the flashback of Adam uh, digging and lighting himself on fire and uh, and it's like Jake is remembering this or dream- it's not really clear because Jake wasn't there. No one was there as far as we can tell. Maybe they all were there and that's why they know and that's what he's blaming them for because that would be the only way they could remember what happened. But the film doesn't set that up at all. It's, I think it's just that like, maybe, up maybe we're seeing Jake, uh, Jake's visualization of what he thinks must have happened reconstructing it based on what was found. But it's like, as with most things in this film, there's, there's a real disjuncture between... Uh, what were shown and any potential sensible perspective on that being something that someone saw, which is, you know, film doesn't have to consist solely of POV shots, obviously, but if you're playing with the idea of conception and perspective and, you know, unreliable experience, you need to at least have a reason to see what you see. You need to at least communicate if something's just a scene that we're seeing solely as the viewers that no one else could have seen, it needs to feel that way. It needs to be framed as something being seen by a character who couldn't have been there in a way that doesn't establish their point of perspective. You know, it's like, oh. Right. Also, at some point, yeah. there's a song with the whispered lyrics, welcome to my hell, uh, in the movie. That was kind of funny because it was like, oh, it's, let's just, let's hit it as hard on the nose as we can. Let's, yeah. 
Oh, um, so when when the big reveal happens, and when it turns out that like you know Lance Henriksen reveals that they're all actually laying in graves with you know tube pipes and phones, he's he mentions specifically that he dosed them with sodium amytal, which is a real thing. It's also called amobarbital, and it's just basically kind of it's a barbiturate. It's just like a plain old barbiturate. He's just like, yes, I've dosed you all with heroin, and that's why you're all wildly hallucinating. Well, but I think I think that has I think. I think that uh, has sort of like a pop culture uh, history as being treated essentially as that's like, you know, truth serum insofar as someone's no, going to name. I, no, I think that's the other one. That's, um, fuck, that, oh. that's, that's a different one. That's sodium. Uh, oh, my God. Now I'm going to. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. So, so yeah. It, it, it's, so yeah. the question becomes, because I was just hearing you say. Sodium thinking, pentothal. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Is the truth serum. So I guess there's part of a question of whether it was intentionally something else yeah i'm kind of wondering if there was some intention there to have it like sort of cross over but anyway yeah regardless it was i dosed you with magical for the purposes of my purposes hallucinogen rather than the thing and you think they'd make something up instead of something that use something that clearly isn't that thing but i guess there's not a lot of doctors watching this movie or people with wikipedia remembering this movie enough to actually look that up because they're doing a podcast also, trivia note, and like well, I couldn't find any trivia for this movie, so here's some trivia for another movie. Uh, Robert Walker, who played the uh, well, basically like the antagonist in uh, Hitchcock's um, *Strangers on a Train*, died of a uh, sodium amytal overdose. Oh my gosh! Mm, yeah, accidental. Um, it was administered to him by somebody else uh, while he was having an anxiety attack because it's Man. an anxiety medicine. Life dosed you all with Xanax. <laughs> Um, oh, okay. So the end, the very, the very ending. So um, you know, Jake and uh, Jake and Chelsea are revealed to be like the last people, and you know they're getting away in their uh, in their car, and you know they're driving down, um, and then all of a sudden they see Lance Henriksen in the rearview mirror, but then he's not there. So, and I have no idea what that was supposed to be implying. Whether it's like PTSD or now he's a ghost. No idea what that was supposed to be implying, but then there's the other scene where you see um, you see Lance Henriksen sitting in like a shitty hotel room, smoking like you know what's implied to be like his 90th cigarette, and he's just like staring at a picture of his son. And I don't even remember if he if if, if it looks like I, I I think he just looks sad, like he doesn't look like he's victorious or anything. And he's also got that picture of Adam and Jake, and he you know folds away uh, Adam the way that you would like with a photo of somebody you love with a different lover um, and then just sort of like holds Which the two Facebook photos Facebook has up made together. much more difficult to do at this yeah. point you just have to get out some like put a post-it note on your screen it's really tricky <laughs> Um, yeah, and it, it's actually really funny because the, the, the picture that he's looking at is just like supposed to be, um, you know, like Adam's supposed to be younger in it, but not much younger. He looks like in his early teens. And then the other picture is clearly supposed to be sometime before his 16th birthday. And so he overlaps the picture over the other one. So it looks like, you know, he's standing there with his son who's a year and a half older than he was in the previous picture. Um, and then Pinhead and Cenobites show up because he's got the real... Le Marchand's box. Yeah, and he opens it. And he solves it, and they come out, and then they kill him with uh, some sort of, it, it looks like a, uh, what do you call it, a Monriki Gusari? 
Thanks, Dungeons sure. and Dragons. I remember those names of weapons. I don't remember what they're supposed to fuck. It's a chain with a weight on yeah, the end of it. Yeah, it's a, a chain with like a scythe weight. It's sort of a yeah. big semicircular blade. And they uh, they slice them, you know, they slice them like uh, sideways, and he falls apart into like three pieces. And like this is like the only just genuinely half decent effects shot is just like him laying there in pieces like as they're sort of gloating over him and it's still and not great remind- it's like it's yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of cheesy because i don't know how you do it as a practical effect very well you well you put the guy on the floor and then build out a fake uh torso that's yeah. cut in half you know yeah. like, like like in aliens which lance henriksen yeah he's been through this he's been through a better effect shot of this effect exactly shot i was about to say like why like was it it was either a reference to that or maybe it's the fact that lance henriksen knew how to make that kind of shot and he you know there he's just like listen if you give me another 500 bucks i'll teach you how to do an effects <laughs> shot they're like yeah all right <laughs> fire 19 extras <laughs> um yeah, and, and, the, and then, the, there's like as much Pinhead dialogue in this final scene as anywhere in the film. Where Pinhead's like, uh, he he opens the box to his apparent surprise, and then Pinhead shows up. He's like, "Welcome, welcome to hell." And there's also the Chatterer and the black straps guy with the black strap over the eye and the mouth. I think that's bound Cenobites. He's given up on making new Cenobites. Yeah, and so he's like, I should have come for you a long time ago. Your son was quite the prodigy. He opened the gateway to hell. And so Lance is like, he's like, I gotta wake up. Is his line? He's obviously freaking out because this like obviously can't be real because it's not real. It's just it's just made up stuff. And then he gets all that sodium chopped into five and dosing myself. (laughs) Seriously, (laughs) he gets chopped into five pieces, and and, and then Pinhead says, "How is that for a wake-up call?" And it's like, oh god, like Doug Bradley had nothing to work with in a lot of these movies, and this like is as good of an example as any. Because, yeah, yeah, the whole the whole tonal arc of the end of the film. I want to talk specifically because you you said. So so they, they they turns out they're all in, in boxes and I, I continue to have complaints about this. Jake and Jake and Chelsea are standing around at the grave site looking at the various graves with the PVC pipes for air coming through and talking to Lance Henriksen and confronting him and they're and and, and Jake goes through the process of figuring out that this is what's going on, is that he's in a casket, but how would he see the outside of the casket if he was inside the fucking casket? And Chelsea's there too, so it's a group hallucination because they're both inside, but they're both outside. And Jake tries to tackle Dad and then flies through him because he's not really in there because he's in the casket. That whole thing again, not making any fucking sense. But anyway, so they they're in there, and and then Lance starts poking holes in Chelsea's casket. She's the last one alive, apparently. Starts poking holes in her casket with the shovel, so dirt's going to start coming in, so she'll now properly be buried alive and die quickly, because that's better, I guess. Uh, And then with this crosscut, it turns out uh, she's freaking out and assuming she's about to die or maybe get stabbed to death with a shovel. You know, just take your pick, I guess. Uh, It turns out it's actually the cops breaking it out, and it's light out, and it's morning, and they pull her out. And they pull her out, and it turns out she's been down there for several days, and someone yep. made a call, and it's the only reason they found her. So she gets out, and we get sort of like the, oh, it's all over sort of thing, and Jake gets pulled out, and it turns out he's alive too in a, oh my god, maybe he's dead. Nope, he's alive, he's breathing sort of typical shot. And so we find out that it's only a miracle that someone called them, and they don't know who and uh, and she turns and looks up at the house, and there's a figure that's supposed to be Adam, I guess. I guess Ghost Adam called the cops three days later to say, hey, my friends are 
buried alive outside the property. Maybe Except it's like in the movie Ghost, where it took him a, like a really long time to figure out exactly how to grasp like objects in the real world. That could be, yeah. But so maybe we, this movie takes place in the ghost continuity. That's it. That's probably we got to find how Patrick Swayze is involved somehow, uh, and he's actually dead now, so that would explain it. He's responsible. <laughs> he traveled back in time as a ghost to get this terrible film made, but it's his first film as a ghost. You know, he's still finding his way with the craft. Um, so, so we get this, we get this, uh, horror movie relieved ending moment where, where they're both, they both survive. They're pulled out of the graves. They're alive. They're sort of smiling at each other. Like, uh, maybe we'll end up having a romantic relationship now, even after all this trauma. And, and then the sort of mysterious, Oh, who called? Maybe it was Adam. He saved us. And then they're driving and we get the happy sunset. And as you, or sunrise, uh, and as you note, Lance Henriksen is magically in the the the, the back of the uh, the car, and they slam on the brakes, but he's not really there, and they don't crash and die or anything, so they're fine after all. So it's like the take out. Oh no, you're actually you're doomed. You're gonna die. Oh no, you're actually okay anyway. And then we cut to the Lance Henriksen thing in the hotel. So it's like this whole they had like four fake like emotional yeah. resolutions, but not in an like not in a satisfying entertaining way, just like, Oh, we got to throw a few things in here. Got to, got to keep them guessing as to why we bothered to make this yeah. film. I guess I don't, uh. <sighs> yeah. And yeah, th- and that, that's part of why the film was longer than it felt like it should have been. Like I was like, really, yeah. there's more left to this. It's cause it took him a while to do the whole recap. I feel like this is a real typical thing with a film that there's just not enough film for is they go yeah. back and bring back everything that happened in the film and explain it with flashbacks and exposition in a way that really doesn't make for a satisfying ending of the film. It just shows, okay, well you wrote a story and weren't confident enough in your execution of the story to trust us to figure out at the end. So instead you're going to tell us the whole story again. It probably accounts for an extra like 10 or 15 minutes on the tail end. Yeah, I feel like thing. there's a I, – maybe it's it's like in Hellseeker where a shitload of the movie was cut because they just didn't have the budget to do what the script intended to. But instead of cutting it and replacing it with something, they just cut it and just like stretched out scenes for considerably longer than they should have gone on. Yep. Yeah. Other callback things. I, there, I mentioned birds and there are birds a bunch. When Chelsea's mm-hmm. up in the attic and uh, there's the voice coming oh, through the, the floorboard yeah. – uh, which again, attic Hellraiser one, but there's also all these close-up shots of birds flapping their wings with the volume on that really mm-hmm. loud in the soundtrack to be unsettling and yeah. freaking out. So we got the bird thing again. Uh, I, I thought that was again. I don't know how much of that's like intentional or if it's just me looking for something to want to latch onto, but uh, but yeah. yeah, and that's another weird tonal thing where she's freaking out. She's getting pulled in, and Jake's shouting at her for blow. It's not real. It's all in your head. Don't believe it. And it works. And then there's a swallow music and they have a nice reuniting yeah. hug. Uh, and then that's when she does a roundhouse kick to kick Lance Henriksen. There's another terrible scene. Another with a weird tonal shifting. Lance yeah. comes out and comes to leave them so soon without even saying goodbye. And they share this knowing look at each other. There's just this beat where like, uh, mm-hmm. where, where Chelsea and Jake look at each other. And then she does this roundhouse kick that kicks the motherfucker off the balcony and he falls mm-hmm. two floors to his apparent death, except for he isn't dead after all. And they run outside and he's outside. Yeah. And that's when we get the conversation. Just like in Halloween. Yeah. Um, yeah, the last just the last thing that I wanted to mention was that um, okay, so to get tickets to the secret party, you have to go to a 
what is apparently a publicly accessible website solve a puzzle that didn't seem very hard. I mean, it was actually pretty funny. Like the like the few things you see on the screen, you see the um, Allison just like moving her hand over to like click on the doorknob, and like Derek's behind her is like click on it, click the door. Oh man, you got the cube because the you know the 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 box comes out, yeah. and she like clicks on one part of the box. She, he's just like no no no, you gotta finesse it here. Let me do it. But all she like all you saw her doing was just moving the cursor to a particular part of the box and clicking, and that that wasn't enough finesse for Derek. But anyway, so you get these invitations that tell you the secret address of this, you know, place that's pretty out of the way. Like, this isn't the kind of, like, how... It's implied this isn't the kind of place you stumble upon. It, it, it's, you know, a, a mansion way the fuck out somewhere. They go in. They're at this party for, like, ten minutes before Lance Henriksen personally shows up and asks them for their invitations. Now, what... At, none of this makes sense as far as but i guess party planning where maybe you should have a door guy that's checking invitations yeah it really doesn't like they would have had a guy be, at the door yeah maybe you should like have a better system than a website that anybody can apparently link to anybody else you know or you know this thing is pretty secluded just let anybody who shows up in it's uh, yeah yeah, it's like it either yeah, either open door or get a bouncer. It seems like you know, like eyes wide shut sold the idea of a yeah. weird party a bit better, but I don't know. It's yeah. again the idea that this is some sort of like con slash party thing. It's very muddled in its execution compared to the real world. Anyway, how do you fucking know? This is the single most complicated way to kill five teenagers ever devised. Yeah, and and put it, it's like a Rube Goldberg machine of a movie. Yeah. Put yourself at significant danger of of you know capture and arrest and so on in the process and uh, just to, makes no sense. And then he gets away with it, and then he gets killed by the Cenobites anyway. And who are apparently real, even though but, yeah, even though it's all fake, but it's real for the person. But, but so, then where did the fucking box come from? Where did he get this box? Yeah, and we still maybe know. The, Maybe the Lamarchand thing is a myth in this world where there's actually Lamarchand, he actually made a box, but the box's abilities are a myth. <sighs> yeah, it's uh, it's not a very good movie in yeah. summary. Oh, Allison definitely refers to her nipples as her you-know-whats, which is weird because later she says something like, welcome to motherfucking hell world. And it's like, hmm, it's a little, it's like, you know, either curse the whole time or, you know, don't just... Just at the very least, don't refer to your nipples as your you know what, and then point directly at them. She was, she was, uh, she was, uh, she was still warming up at that point. She was getting into the party spirit. She takes a little while to come out of her shell. Also, yeah. the, the the music that's playing as we see this final scene of the cops, uh, oh, 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 the whole thing with the 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 Lance Henriksen showing up in the mirror and then gra- he grabs the wheel and turns it and they manage not to crash. That's crosscut with cops busting in the motel room, which is covered in all sorts of blood, like actually kind of a aftermath of a Hellraiser killing. So I know, that's something. And there's the box and they're playing this terrible music over all this into the credits with, with uh, lyrics like, look who's laughing now. Looks who's standing tall. Yeah. And it's just, it's like, I don't know. I don't know who's laughing now. I'm not laughing. No one's, feeling very good at this it's uh well i don't know i mean i th- I think you know jake of all the people he's you know he's had a pretty all right time he got stabbed in the thumb but he got laid and didn't die so you know hey true. better than most parties go for him true yeah yeah I... where he gets stabbed and doesn't get laid <laughs> um, such, such a bad movie it was just such a yeah. it was such a bad movie it was yeah really really <sighs> not a good movie i guess nope <laughs> 
I, I like this one review on uh, – there's a excerpt of a review on the Rotten Tomatoes page for this. Mm-hmm. And the entire excerpt is dot, 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 moronic, dot, dot, dot. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to endorse that. Good job, uh, David Newshair from Real Film <laughs> Reviews. It was, uh, there's a, it was moronic. Yeah. There's a 7 out of 10 review on IMDb that's uh, contemporary to when the movie came out. It's from September 10th, 2005. Um, don't go into this movie. Uh, it's it's a seven out of ten. It's after seeing a bunch of these negative reviews, which are completely unwarranted, by the way. I feel compelled to speak up in defense of Hellworld, and something tells me this is Rick Boda. <laughs> I- <laughs> Don't go into this movie expecting something intellectual because you won't find it. This movie has a lot of fun and it does it well. You also can't go into this movie expecting to see something like any of the other movies. Um, yeah. <sighs> if it's Rick Bowden and gave himself a 7 out of 10. Yeah, that's... He did- yeah, he didn't want to make it look like it was really Rick Fauda. <laughs> There's no way anybody will ever evaluate this movie as anything. And you know, it's pretty funny because this is like a um, this is like a uh, game review seven out of ten, where you know you'll read it like actually, God, I saw this in I get Game Informer, and just like even this month, you know, they they have a review of like this game. It's like you know this game kind of sucks. The graphics aren't great. You know, the maps aren't good. The controls aren't terribly responsive. The camera isn't good. I really wouldn't recommend anybody play this game. Six out of ten. Shit, man. uh, Yeah, you know, I. uh, (laughs) What have we gotten ourselves into? I, I don't Why? know. You know what? In the beginning of this podcast, I apologize to the people that 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 watch this movie because of our influence. Now I take that back. I demand an apology from the people who encourage us to keep doing this because we had to watch this. <laughs> you assholes! <laughs> Why? Why? What did what did we ever do to you? Oh man! Yeah. yeah. Well, any 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 closing thoughts on this? Uh, um, do you want to play invent a, a you know not very well functioning death device? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, I'd say we should play Inven- Invent a Cenobite, but uh, clearly the people who made this Hellraiser film didn't want to play that, so we probably yeah. shouldn't. Have. You know, there was, there was uh, w- I'm gonna I'm gonna actually talk about it for the thing, but very very late in the film, we get uh, Jake and Chelsea get uh, confronted by the actual chatterer. This time, it's not Mike, and she's like, "That better be you, Mike." And then it's Mike, dead Mike, is coming up the stairs, and his face is all he's got a weird Marilyn Manson single like pupil with no iris and staples in his face for some reason. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then yeah. Uh, Allison comes out, too, and she's looking a little bit like uh, the female Cenobite from the first one with the torn-up throat thing. And, yeah. And I don't even remember if Derek even showed up in that scene or not. Like, no, cares, I don't basically. think so. But uh, yeah. anyway, that was just, uh, that was like the closest thing to like pseudo-Cenobites was them as corpses yeah. uh, given the living kid's grief. Um Invent a terrible torture device. Uh, Would you like me to go first? Yes, please do. Okay, it's a um, it's a giant speaker with a built-in subwoofer that's the size of a person, and a person is a uh, you know they're sort of like spread eagle stretched across the thing, and what it's supposed to happen is that the bass is supposed to rip them apart, but it only plays harpsichord music. <laughs> so they just get really bored. Listening that was to the only CD they had. Uh, mine, uh, it's, it's, it's a key that, that gets like, uh, glued to your hand and it's glued to your hand and it's a key, but it's a key and it's also a knife. So it's like a key with a long knife sticking out the front of it. And the thing is there's a bomb 
inside your brain. The only way you can get it out is by unlocking the boxes. But the box is behind your eye, so you have to stab yourself in the eye with the key dagger and turn the lock to get in there and pull out the bomb so your head doesn't explode. Yeah, that's that, really that more of a, like, like that's a, that's, a, that's like a saw film uh, torture device. Yeah, but uh, on the other hand, it is it is pretty incompetently built because I mean, w- once you get back there, I don't think you can actually maneuver the keys. Yeah, it so seems like it's like oh, it's really tough. I can't get the, jiggle it. Just jiggle it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <sighs> yeah. All right. Well, um, oh, I feel so defeated. Listening. I feel so. Yeah. I, feel, I feel empty inside. <laughs> and, and we still got to go. We we still got to see one more. And uh, my I don't Lord. know who's worse off here because like I've I've now seen this movie twice. You you I believe you said this was the first movie that you didn't bother with a rewatch for for the yeah. notes. You just watched one and you were done. I just made myself sit through this again after knowing that I hated it. Oh, I, I actually ago. rewatched it right before the podcast oh, just you? to make sure uh, just to make sure that I I, I had my uh, my my head around everything that happened. And I remember going to the bathroom while watching it. I'm in the bathroom, just like maybe I can just stay in here till it's over. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, so yeah. well, well um, good luck with the next one. It's going to be bad. It's yeah. going to be really bad. It's going to be, but it, you know, it's going to be bad in a different way. That'll probably be nice. It'll be a whole different feel of terrible Hellraiser movie we're making ourselves watch. So I'm, I guess I'm trying to convince myself that I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> trying to believe it. <laughs> I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I got to swallow so, all these nails, but they're rusty, so maybe the rust gives them a different kind of texture and flavor than the rest of the nails. So I'm just, I'm so sad right now, Yakov. I'm just, I'm actually, I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's like, it's like realizing you hate your job. Except for I don't even get paid for this. I'm just doing no. this on purpose. This is my hobby. My hobby is punching myself in the fucking crotch. Uh, but if you'd like to pay us, it. yeah. Hey, yeah. Feel free. That's a nice segue uh, into yeah the closing stuff. Yeah. The uh, so uh, yeah we've got that Tumblr up and you know this will be up on there, which is just we have such films to show you dot tumblr dot com. Uh, we've got the Facebook group going as well, um, and as always, you know, you could rate us up on iTunes, and then we will be, uh, you know, we will have the infamy of coming up if anybody is ever trying to look for a Hellraiser-centered podcast, because I think there's another one. There is. <laughs> there is. Um, so, if you, yeah. Um, go, 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 go to iTunes, go ahead and click yeah. on the star rating and give it somewhere between one and five stars. Uh, remember you're rating this podcast, not the film we're discussing in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> maybe write a review, but do the rating thing. It takes 30 seconds and it's apparently helpful for us. And uh, if you want to send us money, I heartily encourage it. <laughs> yeah. I just want to say we didn't have a, uh, we didn't have an episode last week because I have a bunch of life things going on. We're, you know, we're getting married, we're selling an apartment, we're buying an apartment and it's all, um, surprisingly costly yeah, so a, send yeah, me money yeah yeah um yeah apparently adult things cost money i had no idea yeah it's a problematic thing you know you mentioned yeah. the age difference. how old are you i'm 28 okay well i, I got a few years I'm, I'm only 34 i mean we're not we're not well, generation gap i don't think i think we were yeah, i think we established a, that we had generation it, gap on some early morning cartoon stuff in like yeah, the mid 80s or something because there was a big big difference between like the ones that you grew up watching the ones that i grew up watching yeah. it was actually kind of like you know even 
Yeah, that that was the big gap happened between like eighty nine and ninety one, yeah. bigger than just any other one, basically. So yeah, yeah, because we're pretty much on the same page for like anything more contemporary pop culture wise. I think is yeah. what we've established. Well, okay. Now that we've, we've we've had a nice discussion about relative ages that didn't have to do with that terrible film that I'm trying to stop thinking about, we should probably stop now. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go cry. Um, yeah, me too. <laughs> see y'all in a couple of weeks. Oh my god. Good night, everybody. God help us all.